Talk Games 11, the superstar quadrastack blowout celebration of the two days of December 22nd. As you know, we always release one episode on the first day of December 22nd, and then another episode on the second day of December 22nd, also known as December 22nd Beta, depending on your denomination. I am your host, Wiggly, in the booth, Keith LaPosh. Yo. Sitting to my... TT, what are you doing? Mumble, mumble, mumble. Hold on, let me let me adjust the mic, get the mic down there for you. Now what? I'm sitting under the desk. Well, why are you sitting under the desk? I'm not speaking to you. Why? What did, what did I do now? You told Kyle. <laughs> did you listen to the episode? I did nothing of the sort. Well, then, how did he find out? I don't know. I guess he listened to the playback of the episode and heard what you said? Come on, why don't you just get up here and act like a normal, whatever. You told Kyle. <sighs> Remember when all you would do is get on the mic and say turd and fart and stuff like that there? Oh, the good old days. And speaking of the good old days, well, at least old, sitting down the end of the trapdoor chicken coop bar and karaoke area, Stinky the Game Master. Stinky? Hey, speaking of that, old time, I used to have my own segment and everything. Whatever happened to that? In the old time, you get my reviews and I'm part of the council and everything like that there. Yeah, I remember, Stinky, but now you do your contest. And probably the reason that you're not part of the council anymore is because anytime you got on the mic for anything significant, it would always end in you crapping your pants. Although they, that might be amusing to some, the ventilation in the chicken coop area here, it's not, it's not pleasant. I mean, it's bad enough we have to still have remnants of that machine that blew up in here yesterday. Hey, yeah. Can you tell T.T. to just, you know, sit in a chair or do something like that there? Hey, T.T., you want to go down in the basement where you get a little bite to eat or something? I'm not speaking to you either because you stood me up yesterday at the Foot Locker. Well, yesterday is tomorrow's right now. I don't think that's quite right, and I'm almost positive it doesn't really pertain to what she just said. Hey, listen, we got a stack show. Let's get on with this. In fact... Our special guest on today's show will be Stuttering Craig from ScrewAttack.com. And the first man over a million in Donkey Kong, Steve Weeby, will be on later in the show. And keeping in the tradition of the two days of December 22nd, we'll have two firsts that I know of, and there might be even more. Who knows? You never know what can happen on We Talk Games. A brand new correspondent will be joining us, 2 R, as well as the return of Eric Alex. And Kyle Von Kubik, John E. Capcom, and yours truly will once again join forces to form the We Talk Games Council of Video Game Millionaires to look at character-driven games and game-driven characters. And now that Stinky the Game Master and T.T. Schmootkins have mended their differences and retired to the basement for a sandwich, I think this show can now officially start. In fact, let's not start. Let's go! Don't you think I sound like a robot? This must be the retro review part. Because if it's from the 80s, you must sing like robot. I love you. This is the part of the show where we talk about virtual arcade at home. And the lines are beginning to blur between the Xbox Arcade, the PlayStation Store, the Virtual Console even, well, mostly relating to the WiiWare section of the DLC for the Wii, in that what originally started as actually downloading ROMs of arcade machines and things like that, especially speaking to the more powerful systems, it is truly becoming more of a giant mishmash of all different styles and complexities of titles that are now available. So, although many of these games might not convey a 
uniquely arcade feel, some of them are still worth mentioning, especially if they're worth the download or not. But let us start with the console, where indeed downloadable ROMs are still a big part of it, especially in the virtual console section of the WiiWare store. NES. For the NES, we got Blaster Master and a Boy and His Blob. Now, we briefly touched on Boy and His Blob on yesterday's show with Kyle Von Kubik. And this is a game that's definitely worth the five bucks if you've never played this before. It just plops you right down in the action, and you have to sift through your stack of jelly beans and test them out to see which what each one does, since you don't have the instruction manual. Now you can, like, hit the home button and then hit instructions and then hit view and then hit the next button and hit the A and the B and the Z and the Z and the 1 and the 2 and the ha ha hoo. But the easiest way might be to download some type of chart off the Internet or something like that or just go through and take note of each one. And usually the type of jelly bean that you feed your blob is going to relate in some way to the flavor of the jelly bean, like root beer rocket. They're all R's with the oo's and the ah's. And I think the cinnamon does a flame or something like that. I can't recall the flavors and all their counterparts. But if you flip a few of these beans to your blob, I'm sure you're going to figure out in no time. And also Blaster Master had a huge following back when it was originally released for the NES. So I think those are two great titles to get if you want to relive your NES experience. Super Nintendo, we saw Street Fighter Alpha 2, the Super Nintendo version. I'm not a Street Fighter expert, so I don't know if the Street Fighter Alpha 2 version for the SNES did have elements that weren't in the arcade and were better and whatnot like that. But I think the Wii is powerful enough to handle the full arcade version. I'd like to see them try. We also got the Combat Tribes for Super Nintendo. Genesis, we get Earthworm Jim 2. That was a pretty strong title. It was okay. And for the Nintendo 64, Super Smash Brothers. Big, big release for the Nintendo 64. Still to this day, one of the most popular games for that system. And speaking of the arcade section, Sega's Shinobi came out for $8. Tecmo Solomon's Key, which was also... Now, there's a game where I thought, why didn't that come out for the regular NES? That was a pretty big hit on the NES. And there's really no benefit for having this game for the arcade version over the NES version. I guess, well, I don't know, maybe there's some licensing fees involved there or something. I have no idea. $6 can get you Tecmo Solomon's Key, which was a puzzle-style game. And Taito also released the Ninja Gaiden arcade version. $6! Not a bad game. Much better than Ninja Gaiden for the Lynx. Just a few things to mention on WiiWare side of the house. Diatomic came out. This looked like a fat vector-style top-down shooter. And we'll get into this sudden surge of vector-style shooters, especially prevalent in the PlayStation Store. Now, this is not really anything that is a vector-like, but it did remind me of some of those fat vector games like Omega Race. And in fact, what it reminds me most of, I think, is lifting right from flow, although without a thesis behind it. It's just a straight-up shooter. There's also some other titles in there that might interest you, and believe me, I think it's only the titles that are interesting. Eco Shooter Plant 530 came out. This is a tin-can shooting game, and in fact, maybe even tin cans with wings. It's a zapper gun game. And another title that interests me was Stop Stress, A Day of Fury. This is a game about the most stressful man in the world. And the description says that you pick up a baseball bat, go out and start bashing things up, like a toilet and things like this, and go out and hit people, hit, or I don't know, I don't know if you hit people, I think you hit the environment. And it's supposed to get rid of your stress. I thought, oh, this sounds really cool. Then I looked at it, and I'm like, Wow, this is some type of experiment using the Exterminator engine from the old arcade game Exterminators with maybe a little bit of Fight for Life thrown in there. I guess they expect people to just buy these games on their descriptions? 
But that might be a game that I would ask for my money back. Also, TV Show King 2 came out for $8. If you enjoyed the first TV Show King, it wasn't too bad, especially on the Wii. It's not bad because you get to use your Miis. And who doesn't like to see themselves or some type of chibi, weird me representation of themselves inside an actual game show? Moving over to the PlayStation Store, Puzzle Geddon came out for the PS3 as well as for the Xbox. This is a 2D grid block moving game in a 3D play field with an overly complex attack and defend weapon system in place. You move your blocks around, you can set up certain different things to happen via chain reactions, and by clearing certain color blocks, you build up power-ups to perform different types of attacks. And then you have to like do this weird aiming, and I, I didn't even know which side of the world I was on. Was I on the top of the planet Earth? Was I on the bottom of the planet Earth? And then you have this very rudimentary block design in the middle of the Earth. The good thing is you could demo this, so see if you like this or not. It's demoable on both the PlayStation and the Xbox, so check it out if you want to try out something new in a puzzle game. But if I had a chance to download it again, I'd probably pass. Battle Fantasia also came out for $20 in the PlayStation Store. And I believe this is also available for the Xbox 360. I was kind of shocked to see this one available as a download. This is a 2D fighting game that uses a 3D graphics engine to create the polygonal characters. It's sort of in the style of Guilty Gear with the amount of bizarre characters in it, although I don't think it's really as flashy and as action-packed as Guilty Gear can be. But it's kind of neat. But until there's a demo for it, I, I just hold off, because $20 might be a little bit higher than you might want to pay for this. Although this is a fully realized arcade-style fighting game. Polar Panic also came out for both systems, Polar Panic 999. Now, I was hoping for a Kickle Cubicle type of game, but what I got was a 3D, one-part Bomberman without the bombs, and another part Chuman Fu without the chew or the man or the foo. But you do get to kick the ice blocks around that form your maze. Now, the only thing that really hurts this game, for me, is that it's 3D. And the lighting and shading on some of the 3D objects sometimes makes it hard to see even where you are, let alone what's going on. The level designs and the play mechanics are both tight, but the visuals got in the way of this for me. Another game available in the PlayStation Store is Topa Toy. Now, this one is also demoable, so I recommend you demo this title. Topa Toy. You have to make jumps to get from A to B while you're riding inside of this unwieldy type of weird-looking hovercraft. Now, the jumps are hard enough, but you have to use the L2 and R2 buttons to constantly raise and lower your power and power consumption, but it raises and lowers it incrementally. It's not like you can lay on it and it's going to ramp up analog-like. It actually does jumps up, and then it starts coming down automatically on its own from the higher revs. Now, you need to really rev up this engine to be able to make higher jumps and longer jumps. And you're burning fuel constantly. Now, I like that. I like the fact you're burning fuel constantly, so you don't want to always run your jets at the highest setting. But some of these jumps and the way they're set up and the button controls, uh, really, you need to take a look at this game before you would plunk down your hard-earned bucks for it. And the whole goal here is to go and try to rescue these people. Now, if these people really wanted to get rescued, why the heck didn't they just put a straight road leading from you to them instead of putting in all these convoluted jumps that you have to make all over the place? Now, as I mentioned earlier and on yesterday's show, the return of these Mod Podge semi-vector-like top-down shooting games. Gravity Crash came out, and it, it just beat out Pixel Junk Shooter for its release, both at a $10 price point. Pixel Junk Shooter is, of course, by Pixel Junk. And I've yet to give that a try, but hopefully we'll hear about this at some point in the future. Gravity Crash, I have had a chance to play, and in fact, I liked it so much I purchased it. I really love the music. I love the sound effects, and I like the presentation as well. 
There's some times that the background graphics get a little weird. The color palettes don't always mesh well with one another. But this is a game where your ship is constantly being acted upon by gravity. So if you're above the water, gravity is pushing you down ever so slightly. And you have to keep your thrusters going up so you don't crash. And if you're in the water, you're being brought to the surface by the buoyancy of your ship. And it's all presented in this pseudo-vector art. And there's particle explosions and all different type of effects. And what you're really doing here is you're trying to mine fuel to keep your ship afloat and your shields working and all this and that. Destroy the enemy outposts and land your ship at different landing bays to pick up your own troops. And I think that it does everything just well enough to warrant the $9.99 price tag. So check it out. It is available for a demo. Give it a try and see if you like it as much as I do. I'm a big fan of this type of shooter that also gives me my old school arcade fix. And I think this is a perfect example of an arcade at home. The PlayStation Store also sees the release of the minis! The minis! Sony's answer to the Apple iTunes store, I think that's what they're going for, the little iApps and things like that. We have a 3 to $7 range on these minis. And as a matter of fact, it was advertised in my Sony Today section of the cross-browser on my PS3. It said, minis now available for PS3. So I went right to the mini store and said, well, what's $3, what's $5, what looks interesting to me? I want to give this a shot so I can review it on a show today. And I downloaded Blast Off, because that was kind of inexpensive, and it looked like, ah, oh, it might be some Lunar Lander gravity type of thing. Very simplistic game here. So I picked up this Blast Off. Everything looked good. It downloaded. No problems. I go to click on it to run the game inside my PS3, because it does say, Minis for your PS3. Now, when I select it over top of Blast Off, it came up with a PSP icon. But I read it. It said, minis for ps3 so i clicked on it and something happened something happened and then i got a black screen and it said error 99 bbttyykk try it again i tried again so i saw on there a blast from the past <laughs> that old relic from the amiga pinball fantasies i think pinball fantasies for the amiga was the first step in a real gripping pinball experience now it's <laughs> Compared to today's standards, it's severely lacking. But for at its time, it was the first time you said, oh, yeah, this is like pinball. So I picked that up, and when I went to try to play that, it said I needed a system upgrade. Now, I didn't get that error when I tried to launch Blastoff. It just tried to play it. So I took my system upgrade. It said that I had the newest version, and then yet somehow I got a system upgrade happening. I don't know what's going on here. But I gave it a try, and after my system update, I went back, I clicked on Pinball Fantasies, and all of a sudden, my system just froze. I was just frozen. So I had to hard shut it down, did a cold boot, clicked on Blast Off again, and now I got my mini screen. I got my mini screen, I started playing Blast Off. Let me tell you, you do not want to play your mini games on your PS3. These games will look fine on your PSP. They'll look fine on your PSP Go. I mean, they're not going to have all the graphic bang of a God of War or something like that. But they're going to look okay on your little portable device. But blown up on that PS3, I started to feel like maybe my PS3 isn't that good. Maybe we do want the PS3 to do it all. I don't think that means that we want it to look bad. So give the minis a go, but I'm not sure that you're going to be going back to those minis, especially on your PS3 when you have a lot more compelling titles that you could be playing for around the same price. 
On the Xbox 360, we got Alien Breed Evolution for $10. This is running on the Unreal Engine 3, and it's in the style of Loaded, or for you kids out there, Marvel Ultimate Alliance. Except, unlike Loaded, where you're some type of zombie running around with a chainsaw, and unlike Marvel Ultimate Alliance, where you're some type of non-Marvel zombie running around with superpowers, in this one you play a space marine. And you use your BFG and whatnot to traverse the maze. It's cool to see the Unreal Engine used like this, but if I'm not mistaken, and I might be, I thought that that remake of Sega's Alien Storm was presented in the same fashion. But give it a demo, it might float your boat. The original Call of Duty also came out. I don't know why I mentioned that, but I just thought it was kind of interesting that that came out. And, and why not really try to rake in the cash from this Call of Duty series? Zero Day Attack on Earth came out for $15. Here's Square Enix. Once again, returning to the shooter genre, I'm always amazed at what comes out of their studios. And sometimes I really love it, and sometimes it's, yeah, eh. This one I, I don't know how I feel about yet. I might have to play it through a couple more times on the demo. Three-quarter overhead view spaceship shooter. And it takes place on Earth. So it almost has like a ride-end feel, but with full 3D. Although you do maintain that three-quarter overhead type of angle going on. And you're actually flying over real places on Earth that are being overwhelmed by giant monsters. Now, I love that. But you also have to fight clouds that get in your way. You don't really fight them. You just sort of get hurt by them. And there's also enemy ships trying to get you and things like this as well. And it definitely features that Square Enix color palette. And you can play this game online. It's four-player co-op or eight-player competitive. Definitely worth a download to check it out if you want to up your shooter collection on your Xbox 360. Now, I didn't mention Madden Arcade coming out for both the PS3 and the Xbox, and I really want to take the time to mention this. It's only $15. And if you're more of a person that preferred Blitz in the arcade over any type of home simulation-style football game, then you might want to give this a try. It's only $15. It's five on five. You get four downs to get 60 yards, and you have a 10-play playbook per team. One to four players, local or online play. And I just think this is very interesting because instead of having a John Madden arcade game out in the arcade and then that gets ported home, we have an arcade version for our home systems, and there is no arcade version in the arcade, as far as I know. And the game that most excited me, $10, Kicks Plus Plus, Kicks, the return of Kicks. I think we'll talk about Kicks later, perhaps. That might come up uh, when we're describing another game for the PS3. Kicks Plus Plus came out for the Xbox 360. Now, I didn't pick mine up yet. It's only $10. But I hope, you know, three or four or five, six, seven, nine, ten months down the road, this might come out for the PlayStation Store, and then I might pick it up for that. Kicks Remake, Kicks Plus Plus, not as many particle and light effects that I was expecting. As I thought the easiest way that they're going to bring out Kicks is just make it a lot flashier, put on in all these particle explosions and things like this. It was sort of lacking in that area. If you don't know what Kicks is, you have a one-screen play field. You take your little cursor and you draw these lines. These lines are called sticks. And you draw a line sort of like an Etch-a-Sketch. You can only, only go on the X and Y axes as you're drawing lines. You can't go diagonally unless you do some funky movements. And at best case, you'll get a stair-step sort of pattern. So you draw these little shapes, and then when you complete a shape, it fills up solid. And your goal is to try to fill up somewhere between 50 and 90% of the original one-screen play field with solid color. And while you're doing this, this kicks is going around, which is used to be this vector-like wisp pattern. It sort of looks like a screensaver. And if that comes and touches you while you're drawing your little box, and you're dead. And there's also these little sparks that go around the side. you got to try to avoid them. you got to get off and start drawing a line, not complete it, so that it goes under you while you're trying to complete your box. And that's going around the screen. There's also these fuses that happen. 
but it's very simple and very fun. And as you progress through the level, sometimes you get a double kicks, and then your job is to try to draw a line up in between them to separate them into two quadrants of this screen, and it gets more fun as you increase in difficulty. It's a great game from Taito. Now, they did add power-ups, and these power-ups are in the form of these blocks that are on screen, and if you draw a line around these blocks and then fill in that with color, well, you're not even filling in with color, you're just filling in with flat black now. It's kind of odd, because originally, the original game had two different speeds that you can draw these lines at. If you pressed one of the buttons, you would draw a slow line, and that would make a red block, and that would be more, worth more than drawing a fast block, which would fill in with blue. Now, so far on this game, I only see that you could draw at one speed, and I could be wrong, and I'd like to do a full review of this at a later time. But I just wanted to tell you that Kicks Plus Plus is out there. It has power-ups. It's a reworking of the game. And if you like Kicks, then go get your Kicks. Kicks Plus Plus. And that's your arcade at home. Keith, open the line. I want to get Kyle Von Kubik on real quick. Satellite of Integrity. Kyle, are you there? I am here. Very are you good. there? I am. And How's everything over there? It's going well. I, I mean, I don't foresee any explosions on today's show. I hope that doesn't happen. The smell is almost gone. Uh, Stinky was up with the Febreze all night. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. So what's going on? Uh, we, we have the auction. I just want to bring you on real quick, then, of course, you'll come back for the council. But right. real quickly, just to reset... Tell people on today's episode about the, the, the really special thing we have going on on eBay. Yes. Co-op for kids is in full swing. Just head on over to wetalkgames.com and click on the co-op for kids button. You'll see it right there. Yeah, I hope so. On the so. front page. Yep. And it will direct you to eBay. And you can see all of the different memorabilia that we have. We got the commemorative posters. We have the world record book. We have the Tilt DVD. Head on over there. Bid it up, and again, 100% of the proceeds goes right to the Children's Miracle Network. So you get something, and you're given something. It's a win-win. We're co-oping together for kids. Right on, Kyle. It's a wonderful thing to see. Hey, uh, stay on the line, and I'll bring you back in when I bring John in for the... uh, Okay. uh, Uh-oh. What? I, I forgot to tell John to drop off the line after yesterday's show. He's probably still... Is he still on hold? Holding or? for the council. Hey, uh, I'll talk to you later. I'm going <laughs> to check that okay. out. Okay, bye. Bye. Keith, switch to line six. John, are you still there? Yeah, um, yeah, that's me. That's yes. Yeah, okay, it's, sorry yes. about that. I sort of, I guess someone forgot to tell you that we were going to do the council today. Hey, just hold on the line. I think in about another hour, an hour and a half, we'll uh, get the council going. So stand by. Oh, uh, great. Mm, morning, breath. Mm. Keith, dial it in for screw attack. Let's open the line. Stuttering Craig. Dallas, Texas, go! Hey, this is Stuttering Craig or whatever. Welcome to the show, Stuttering Craig. Now, this is a star-studded special holiday blowout on We Talk Games, and this is the first time. We're going to have a lot of firsts, and uh, th- this is the first time ever we have a special correspondent guest because you have an affinity towards the internet and game reviews and internet video gaming fame because you are a part of the screw attack well, well thanks yeah i like i'd like to think that we uh we, we don't have some pretty cool things but uh yeah it's 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 been a cool ride the last four years or so so it's, well it's, it's, it's exciting Fantastic. Now, when I first heard about Screw Attack, I was incredibly excited because I was like, yes, a group that finally is going to show props to one of my favorite features of You Don't Know Jack, the Screw Attack. 
But, <laughs> but then I then my, I got deflated because I realized it was probably more likely a nod to the Metroid. But how did Screw Attack come about? Well, Screw Attack, the incredible website, started in February of 2006. And uh, oddly enough, when we were searching for names for Screw Attack, we were uh, Screw Attack wasn't like our first choice. It wasn't our second choice. It was just kind of the choice that was there, and it turned out to be a great play on words for kind of what we do. We started off looking for names like White Ring and you know th- things that would like I guess weren't exactly mainstream gaming, but if you were a gamer, you knew what they were. And so we're looking for like White Ring from like Zelda, or but you know, and Red Ring. But Red Ring, oddly enough, at the time didn't have the same meaning as it does now. You know, so there was a lot of uh, you know with the 360 and such. But sure. Uh, so so we stumbled upon Screw Attack, and we were like, surely Screw Attack is taken, but uh, it wasn't. And we we're like, holy crap, we got to do that. So we uh, so we took Screw Attack, and uh, you know, it's been a crazy, crazy. Uh, like I said, going on four years in February. So. Yeah, hugely popular. I'm glad that we somehow wiggled our way into there with just your, I guess you're promoting some podcasts and the little guys, so that's nice. Well, you know, the thing is, we we just relaunched our our website, and it's really exciting for us because it allows everybody. ScrewTech is now essentially a platform for everybody to be seen, you know, and that's that's one of the things we've had this we've had a great platform for us to be seen, and and just now we recently switched over to where you know uh, our, our community and everybody else can upload uh, upload videos and upload their podcasts and upload their images and upload their MP3s they make or or whatever it may be. It's now an essential uh, a hub for everything for all these gamers, and we thought, well, we're making this thing, so let's give everybody the same treatment that we've received, and uh, and that's because we we know that there's a lot of really really talented people out there that just haven't had an opportunity to be seen or that are either getting buried on youtube or mm. their site's just not large enough and and uh we thought well let's just make this one central hub for all things gaming and, and it's it's really been uh, awesome the, the first few weeks of our launch now what made screw attack happen well i graduated school and i was like i really don't want to work for anybody else uh mm. so uh right after uh, right after i finished college i my past is is really checkered in terms of like the crazy things that I've done. I, you know, I've uh, worked as an MC, like a master of ceremonies for Coca Cola for a while, and I, I did uh, the Winter Olympics in 2002 up in Salt Lake City, and I did like spring break, and I I interned for Walt Disney World, and I played this sport called slam ball, and I worked on the radio for a short time, and like so I have like all these crazy things, and Screwtex kind of the culmination of of all my crazy skills like in one place, I suppose with one of my with one of my passions which is gaming you know so that that's kind of how it all came about i suppose and that's kind of where screw attack the beginning started i suppose just saying you know what i really don't want to work for anybody else we want to be our own boss you know sure sure right on and what are some of your earliest gaming memories oh man obviously i've I've been gaming you know i got the nintendo the nes probably 1985 86 when it first came out and uh you know, I got memories. You know, obviously playing uh, original Mario Brothers, but uh, Tetris uh, played a big role in my uh, kidhood. I suppose we had this really old giant. It was like a big TV, but it was really old and ancient looking. It was one of those where the um, power button you actually had to press in on it, and it wasn't like a button you actually had to press in. When it was on, the it was physically pressed in, and when you wanted to turn it off, you had to press the off button which pressed that oh, in and pushed right. the on button out sure Anyways, it was, but uh it was really rickety and old but i remember playing tetris on that and uh the old school nes library uh get getting the uh, nes max controller the like the turbo <laughs> controller they had sure yeah like that wasn't even mine my brother got that but i totally abused that um shaped you know, so, like a like a squished letter n 
Yeah, yeah, it was exactly. It was kind of like a tiny little letter in, but uh, and it had this weird circular type thing. It was kind of like a uh, <laughs> the disc. Yeah, yeah, like it was like a disc, I suppose. Yeah, but it was supposed. To, it was in theory supposed to allow you to move better and such. But sure. you know, we all know that the NES pretty much had an eight way forward mm-hmm. back down in the in the directions. It was really pretty rickety, but and uh, but it was cool. Uh, so a lot of my memories revolve around that. I also <laughs> it's really stupid uh, when the Super Nintendo. It's funny because my office has. Uh, the uh, the office here has all sorts of like old school Super Nintendo uh, posters and such. Like I'm staring at one right now. It's got new games that are coming out, like uh, Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past. That's coming soon, you know. Yeah. But um, when the Super Nintendo came out, I was like in fourth grade, and uh, I remember this girl had it, and I was like, "Holy crap, you got the Super Nintendo!" And I was like, "No way!" <laughs> and uh, I, I made her bring the instruction booklet to new to, to uh, Super Mario World to school. Because I didn't believe her, and she, she brought it, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's the coolest thing ever!" So, with um, him riding Yoshi on the on the yeah, just yeah. flat black uh, background. Yeah, I was a Nintendo rep at that time. So really, know. yeah, mm-hmm. wow, that's cool. So, yeah. so you get you get to hear all these crazy, uh, all these crazy stories. So, what are your some you being a Nintendo rep? I, I'm gonna fanboy out on you. So, tell me about that. What was that like? Well, I was a lone wolf Nintendo rep. I was sort of like off in a corner. I, Nintendo sent me things, but I never really contacted anyone from Nintendo. They would just send me things to talk about in the store. Most of it was propaganda, like um, how inferior the Sega CD was, and don't worry, you know, Nintendo's working close with Sony on the PlayStation attachment Uh. for the Super Nintendo that will allow for CD-ROMs. It also pushed out the TurboGrafx, even at the time they were trying to say how superior they were to the TurboGrafx and the the, uh, Genesis. Yeah, of course, of course. It was mostly uh, how to bash the competition because there was a Sega rep in the working the same stores that I was working. So, so that's really cool to hear, and I like I, I love to hear those stories about, especially you know you you hearing behind the scenes that you know that Sony and Nintendo are working together on this crazy thing called PlayStation, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then see that just absolutely fall apart, and now now they're bitter enemies or competing against each other as sure. rival companies. I love that. It's so yeah. cool to hear. Yeah, it, it was an exciting time. And, well, you, you know, the, the, the sound chip on the Super Nintendo was, was great, and that was a Sony sound chip, and Sony really milked the, the uh, licensing out of that from Nintendo. So, yeah. yeah that, it was a very exciting time. I, I was uh, glad to be a part of it back then. And I still have, you know, like my Super Nintendo tape measure and a little <laughs> pen set and an apron that said, Ask me and things like this that I had to wear and uh, and They're sweet yeah and right now I'm uh, looking at the selection box for Nintendo Power you to, uh, came with Laserdisc that you put into this gimmick here and then you would press what uh, Game Boy NES or Super Nintendo game you want to preview on screen and then it'll show some four year old saying Nintendo's the best. <laughs> Nintendo the best. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's you know, like the average gamer now is like thirty something. But it's funny if you watch like gaming uh, commercials now; they're still marketed towards like young kids. Or you watch like a Toys R Us ad or our Best Buy ad, and they always have like twelve year olds playing video games. I suppose, sure. but it's it's just interesting to see how that all came around. But that's awesome. Remember laser discs? Those are great. Yeah, I, <laughs> I uh, still have a large laser disc collection, and in fact, I have a CED collection, which is a capacitance electronic disc, which was uh, came out with the first wave to compete against the laser discs uh, when laser discs first came out in the seventies. Uh, but nice. that that plays off of actually a record. 
So you have a record <laughs> with a with a diamond needle that is five times thinner than a regular phonograph needle that was doing the audio while the video was being read uh, from a magnetic gimmick in the middle of the uh, record. That sounds so old school. RCA. Like, that, that's crazy. It's steampunk. In the 70s, yeah. That's nuts, I love it. stuff. So, uh, speaking of uh, gaming, so what have you been playing lately? I've been busy. I've been playing a lot of stuff. Obviously, new Super Mario Brothers. Uh, hey, that definitely has an old school vibe to it. I've been playing a lot of uh, Modern Warfare 2. I, 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 that's uh, probably the game I've been spending the most time on. Uh, Uncharted 2, obviously, is phenomenal. You know, we have a uh, Street Fighter machine here at the, uh, at the HQ. Uh, okay, which version? We have we have two. We have Street Fighter Two uh, Hyper Fighting, actually Rainbow Edition, which is the uh, jacked up Super Hack version, which is crazy uh-huh. fun. Uh, we'll bust that out every once in a while. But we also have uh, the one that gets with the most run is just Street Fighter Three. It's Street Fighter Three, the new fighters, as opposed to uh, Double Impact or Third Strike. So it's like the first Street Fighter Three. Gotcha, gotcha. We just actually put some new uh, new sticks in it because we because uh, <laughs> we abused it so much. Sure, so. sure. What old uh, style games do you end up going back to? Uh, obviously, platformers are, are, are big for me. I love, uh, you know, e- even with, um, have you heard of the uh, indie game on Xbox Live called Jump? That I have not heard of. It's, uh, it's, it's a really great little independent game that uh, actually one of our old, old interns made a video about and posted on Screw Attack. It's very old school in that you have one button, you jump, it, your, jo- your job is to get past certain things in your way and make it from ledge to ledge to ledge and collect gold or whatever. Uh, but I, I love platforms, uh, platformers. I, you know, obviously, uh, you know, Super Mario Brothers comes to mind. Any game that involves jumping or two dimensions, I'm usually a fan of. Uh, you know, Super Metroid is by far one of the greatest games of all time. I'll How about Jumpman Jr.? Jumpman Jr.? What, what, what is that? <laughs> what? Well, you don't know Jumpman Jr.? I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the best we're... ColecoVision games ever. Ah, uh, see, the ColecoVision was just a tad before me, and I, I wish I could tell you I, I have a whole lot of experience, but I don't. <laughs> I, I, I don't have a whole lot of time with uh, uh, with ColecoVision, or, or I, I do have a lot of time with the Intellivision. I okay. played a lot of Intellivision. Very good, very good. Yes, but that was a sixteen-bit engine, you know. Was it? I don't know. Yep, I, I, it was. That, that's a, see, I'm not. I'm not so much a technical guy. I'm more so just a uh, play it and see if I like it guy. You know, sure, <laughs> like, sure. Like that's a. Uh, that, that's really cool. It was a 16-bit engine. Yeah, that's and it looks you know horrible, but <laughs> that, that, that that was a 16-bit engine. And uh, but Jumpman Junior. Yeah, you got to check that out. Coleco. You know, you can you can get that somehow. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's available online somewhere. Yep. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So you know, platformers, uh, fighters, fighters are. are uh, you know, they played a big role in, in how I grew up. My favorite console of all time is the Super Nintendo, so that's always a fallback for me. I okay. mean, I could play anything on the Super Nintendo and I'd be good, uh, whether it be Castlevania or Pilot Wings or Super Tennis. You know, I, I, can, I can play it all. So, How soon after the launch of the Super Nintendo did you have one in your house? No, I was talking about uh, that girl earlier in my fourth grade class, and uh, I was so blown away. I think it was probably that Christmas, I guess. Uh, it, it definitely wasn't when it was first launched because, you know, back then you had the only thing you had to go by was Nintendo Power. There was no internet. There was no. It wasn't crazy like it is today, and twenty four hours nonstop information. Sure. So, you, so essentially, being a fan of Nintendo, and uh, you had you had Nintendo Power, you had EGM, mm-hmm. and you had to go by what they said, what they had to say, and. Um, so I think it was it was a few months after it came out for sure. But once I got it, man, I abused that thing more like no other. Did you have uh, jo- um, Joe and Mac? Joe and Mac Caveman Ninja? Are you yes. kidding me? I love that game. Actually, it's funny because uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, uh, they just released a trailer. We actually have it on our site right now 
uh, Majesco has the rights to the Data East collection, and Data East actually on that collection, it's going to be coming out on the Wii, and they actually have Joe and Mac on it, so oh, it's great. the arcade version. So yeah, I, I love Joe and Mac. Game's phenomenal. That was some graphics power that you really didn't see on screen. Uh, until that came out, and you know, later I found out that it was an arcade uh, arcade game that which I had never seen in the arcades. But at the time when that came out on a Super Nintendo, I was like, "Wow, this is this is almost like my twelve hundred dollar Neo Geo happening here." So yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, the fact there was there were games where you could play two players at the same time, but. I remember thinking that was just like a really fun thing because you could pick the other player up and you could use them. You, you could uh, use them with you. You know, some of the same things you're doing on uh, New Super Mario Brothers Wii now. Yeah. You know, now that I really think about it, it's kind of funny. Yes. Yeah, Joel Mack was a good one for sure. We actually uh, we do a series called the Video Game Vault for uh, one of our partner sites, Game Trailers, and uh, we actually enshrined that game into the vault. And man, we love that. I love that game. I love Joel Mack. Yeah, great title. Mm-hmm. What game would you recommend right now that everyone needs to get out and get by? And I know you mentioned a couple of really good ones like the Uncharted 2 and the, uh, well, you mentioned a lot of titles. What, what would you recommend is a must-have for this holiday season? Well, uh, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of cool games out there right now. That I think I think 2009 has been an awesome year for gaming. Mm. I, I thought 2008 was really good and 2009 has been really good as well. But I, I think... Right now, uh, you know, the games I mentioned earlier, uh, New Super Mario Bros. Wii, Modern Warfare, uh, Uncharted 2, I think Borderlands is really cool. It, it really, there, there's a lot of games that really fit uh, a lot of different genres that, mm, that right. no matter what type of gamer you are or what you're into, they're games for you, which, which is really, really neat. You know, e- even fighting games like a, like a Tekken 6 or a Street Fighter 4, if, if you haven't played Street Fighter 4 yet, holy crap. But Now's the time to get it because it's all greatest yeah. hits and reduced. It's probably under $25. So Yeah, you know, and if you're down with old school games, you know, there are tons of, uh, they may not have been released this year, but there's a ton of compilation discs that are, that are straight up old school arcade games that are ported, on, ported onto like Wii discs or 360 discs or PS3 discs that, that are like 20 bucks. And you could have 15, 16 arcade games on your 360, on your Wii for like 20 bucks. And I, I think like Daddy mm-hmm. East greatest, greatest Hits is coming out. I mean, I think that's really, really cool. And I'll definitely be picking that up. It's retail, suggested retail price is nineteen ninety nine, and you get 15 games, including like Bad Dudes and Burger Time. You know, that's, <laughs> those are like crazy fun, you know? Sure, sure. On today's show, we are asking each correspondent to bring in one of their bargain bin, $15 or under gaming on a budget, $15 or under your, your pick for that. Sure. Well, I think uh, when you want to look for a budget, you can find some phenomenal games on the Xbox Live Arcade or, or PSN or, or even WiiWare. If you look at WiiWare, you got a game like uh, the Contra, like the new Contra game that came out like a month ago. You can download that for 10 bucks. Uh, I mentioned Jump earlier, which I'm a big fan of supporting independent outlets. And when you have an independent developer selling a game for you know two or three bucks, literally two or three bucks, that that you'll get you know a few hours of entertainment on. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, you know, definitely a game like Jump. See, I'm, I'm trying to be nice to the PlayStation Network, but a lot of the things that are on Xbox Live are also on the PSN. So uh, nothing really comes to mind on the PSN, but I'm sure there's some stuff out there. I definitely turn towards Xbox Live or WiiWare or PSN for uh, for some bargain titles. A lot of those things get overlooked, but there's a lot, a lot of really quality games out there that are, are just itching to be bought. Right on, right on, man. Hey, well, anything else? Um, I love you. Um, I want to thank everybody for their overwhelming support uh, the last four years, and uh, we definitely look forward to continuing this thing. And if you have uh, if you have any videos, any audio, any uh, any files, any anything, uh, bring it over to Screw Attack. If you're a gamer, you know where it's at. You, gamers don't need YouTube anymore. No, gamers, gamers have Screw Attack. 
the future of gaming friendship screw attack. That's right. That's right. It's great. Well, thanks, Craig. We appreciate you joining in, and you're welcome back anytime. Well, thanks, Wiggly. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for your time, and thanks for giving me the platform to talk. Right on, man. Bye now. Right on. Check out the social networking for video gamers at screwattack.com. Let's get Eric Alex on the line, Keith. Madison, Wisconsin! Eric Alex, go! Hey, Wiggly. Yo, man. Hey, were you on the last show? No. Oh, that's why I missed you. Yeah, that's why the ratings were down. They, they were down. Hey, uh, yeah, you know what? I really keep a thumb. What do they call that? I don't even know what they call it. Listen, this show's so stacked, I don't even know who I am, really. Am I Eric Alex? Are you Eric Alex? I don't know. Now you're Wiggly. Oh, okay. I'm Eric Alex. Very this good. This is We Talk Games. That's what I was doing. Oh, jeez. Jeez, I forgot what I was doing. <laughs> hey, man, so what you been playing lately? In between my uh, current love affair with City of Heroes, okay, I uh, I was over at the uh, Wiggly's World of Media message boards. I saw some guys talking about God Hand. Now, this was a game that I could not wait for this game to come out. I was like, this is going to be awesome. Did you play this? Yeah. I was disappointed when I finally did, but... Maybe you coming into it without the hype behind it, the hype machine. There was uh, a hype machine for that? There I was. I thought it was a pretty obscure title. Well, after it came out, it definitely fell off <laughs> in the, the left hand of God, I think that was. Uh, yeah. Because it definitely fell off into obscurity. The game's got its good parts and bad parts, you now, know? this is for the PS2, right? Yeah, PS2, so it's kind of an old-school game. Right, right. It's a, a third-person beat-em-up Kind of in the uh, vein of Final Fight, except in 3D. Now, would you say that this is a, a Western, a, a like a future Western, a out-of-time Western? I, I sort of got that Western eh. vibe from it. The first levels are in sort of a, a crappy Western town. Right. But on the whole, they're just going for a kind of goofy video game vibe. There's okay. no real overarching theme. Except that you're this guy named Gene beating up demons. Right. And you got and, uh, the god hand. Yes. Apparently the backstory, and it's not exactly well explained in the game, but apparently the backstory is some demons beat you up in an alley and chop your arm off. And you're, she's not really your love interest, but she's kind of your, uh, she's like your, your watcher in Buffy the Vampire Slayer terms. <laughs> Uh, geek it up, man. Geek it up. I need that. <laughs> she slaps this, like, demon arm on you, which is the god hand. Right. And then you go out and you uh, beat up everybody that you come across. And from what I remember, I guess you try to power this thing up, and then when you really get it going, and you can whack yeah. people all kinds of ways to crazy. Yeah, you can, you can enter this, like, god hand mode where your, your god hand takes over and you uh, kick righteous ass. Right. You speed up, and I, there's some effects on the screen, and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you do a lot more damage, and it's it's pretty fun there. That's where the game picks up, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a lot like if you're playing God of War, um, mm -hmm. when you go into the uh, Berserker mode. Right. It's, it's kind of the same deal. Yes, except it doesn't look quite as good, I think. Well, no, and I think that's one of the big drawbacks to the game. Yeah, what happened? They ran it out of budget or something? Sin. Yeah. That was what happened. It, you know, the character models were okay. Yeah. You know, they were serviceable, but the backgrounds were horrible. Uh, just the, the western town, 
was like devoid of life and charm in any way. Like I said, when the big hype machine was behind it, I was looking at it, I was like, this is, looks like a cinema. And then all of a sudden you get in there and you're playing, it's like, how did I end up in Gex 3D? What's going yeah. on here? Yeah, I mean, it looks seriously PS1. And you're and fighting balls. Are like out of proportion. Yeah. You go into the, the, the bar and <laughs> right. the tables are too big, and it's yeah. just it it just seems really bizarre. Yeah, yeah, something it's it it I don't know. I, I just think that they said, you know what, we don't have time to finish this. Let's just push it out. <laughs> I mean, there were good parts to the game. You got to say there were good parts to the game. the The most interesting thing about it was is your character was really customizable, not in terms of his looks or anything, but you could pick what moves he did for what buttons. You could set up combos of the moves. You know, you could have like a five-hit combo with all different moves in it. And that was really interesting. You could also set up what moves you did during your little berserk mode. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I think, pretty fun. I think it's like, you know, it's like a niche game. I think that if you want to like this game, I think that you can find the things to latch on to and really, really think it's a, it's a nice uh, compilation. Well, I think, you know, the easiest way to tell if you're going to like this game or not is uh, you go on YouTube and you look up God Hand's closing credits. And if you watch these closing credits and listen to the song and think it's funny, you're probably going to like the game. Okay. So the spoil it right away. It doesn't matter. There's it, there's no plot to this game, <laughs> right. really. No. Go you in know. and punch people in funny ways. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the humor's a little rough. One of the bosses is a, a, a Latin guy, and I think that's supposed to be funny in oh, and of itself. I uh, see. His, his voice actor kind of plays it up a little too much. Uh-huh. And there's a couple of bosses that are uh, flamboyantly gay, and okay. uh, it's uh, it's kind of crude, and it might turn some people off. Okay, well, that's good to know. That's good to know. i, I, I got to tell you, there's never been anything as quite as insulting as Power Rangers number one for the Super Nintendo. This was a highly anticipated title when the Super Nintendo came out because Power Rangers were, you know, huge. They were the big rage. Oh, yeah. uh, and this was back in the Save by the Bell Power Rangers. You know, Saban yes. had purchased the rights for Kaku Rangers and then he chopped it up and mixed in the Save by the Bell, which just by the placement of the Rangers with their real-life counterparts was already, you know, going on racist. Let's see, you know, you, you the different colors related to different people's ethnicities, and the yep. girl was pink, and, well, you know, that that might be true, but, like, I think, the I don't know, it was really, I don't even want to go there. But then at the end of this game, if you beat the Power Rangers game, which, of course, I did because, you know, I got to beat the Power Rangers, yeah. uh, <laughs> It's like a minstrel show ending in this diner that they used to hang out in. So it it's v- incredibly offensive, and I have no idea how this was allowed in this. I'm like, how the heck can't I have two guys farting, JJ and Jeff, when it, they bring that to the States, and yet I can have this, this type of uh, racism on a Super Nintendo game? Yeah. So buyer beware, I guess, on the God hand there. I didn't get to those parts, so maybe I, uh, maybe I missed that. Yeah. Thanks for the warning. You know, the game has a definite sense of humor, and uh, it's really bizarre. You fight like midget Power Rangers and a wrestling gorilla. <laughs> uh, it's it gets really gonzo, and uh, that's kind of charming. 
Well, it is by Capcom, and they did bring us uh, that JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Now, that that wasn't that bizarre. They really had some weird titles, Capcom, at, at some point. Yep. Where you're like, what? What were they, what were they going for? What was the demographic? Did they just say, "All right, listen, just just go into this cave with these shamans and <laughs> come out and then you know make a game?" Yeah. Hey, next yeah. month I want you to review the bouncer for PS2. I never played that. <laughs> I hey, heard it was bad. If you like watching movies and uh, and love load times, you're gonna <laughs> love the bouncer. Sounds fun. <laughs> That I don't know. That is very. I remember the hype machine. For yeah, that. it really reminds me of of how I was expecting God Hand when when they mentioned you know Swears making a fighting game. It's gonna be the bouncer. You've never seen anything like this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know I was getting hyped up for it, but you know then, then the reviews were pretty poor, and I stayed away from it. Yeah, good thing. Good thing. Hey, what else you got? Well, the other games I've been playing, I've been playing. A uh, free online MMO. Okay. Uh, it, it's kind of retro new. It's called Dungeon Fighter Online. All right. And, it already sounds like I hate it. Well, you might like it. <laughs> okay. I didn't like it that much, and I quit playing it pretty quick. Hmm. But I have to say it had some good points to it. This game plays a lot like the Streets of Rage series back for the Genesis. Or, oh. Uh, yeah. Except for that your characters have kind of customizable moves, kind of like in God Hand. Okay. This is a big giant tie-in, this, this uh, in review. Yeah, you know, everything's holistic here. We talk games. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> but uh, this game, it's walk to the right or walk to, walk to the left, and you beat up the bad guys. There's uh, four or five different classes to play as, and uh, you can group up with other people and play it. And it's free to play, which I actually think is kind of the negative side to the game. Huh. When you get in there, and you start playing it, and you're having a good time, you're fighting the bad guys, and then the missions start to ask you to group up with people. Okay. So you wander out into the public areas, and there's just hordes and hordes of guys standing around going... I will sell you gold for this game for $12. <laughs> just spamming up the channel. Wow. And so you just look at it and you kind of despair of ever talking to a real person. And you log off. But I'd say if you could get a group of guys together and play this game at the same time and group up together, I think that would be really fun. I did have another problem with the game, too. They, the way they make their money is with microtransactions. Okay. You can buy avatar, uh, like, cosmetic stuff, like hairstyles and hats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. So it sort of has that um, Second Life type of um, thing going on in it. Yeah, kind of. But the cosmetic upgrades also give you some kind of power boost. Okay. But the problem with it is, they went with sort of, it, the game's got kind of an anime vibe, but the characters have sort of, you know, we're cool dark anime characters <laughs> gotcha and now, then is it like of king the... of dragons or something like capcom speaking of capcom yeah uh, is it like king of dragons because uh, you say it's like final fight so that's what king of dragons reminds me of i have to say it really does play like streets of rage okay uh it has that feel to it you can hit guys you can uh, grapple with them uh one of the characters is this sort of mma chick and oh. uh 
she does all kinds of suplexes and stuff. It's pretty fun. So is it like Willow? Willow. Yes. That was, that was another side. That was just like King of Dragons, except with the Willow characters. It's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons, uh, the the Tower of whatever, the old, uh, I think that was a Capcom yep. arcade game. Yep, yep. Uh, it's kind of like that, except okay. for you have more control over what like moves and powers you get. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Knights of the Round, that was one of the... the oh, the, yeah. The I played that way too much for what it was worth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a that lot wasn't of those. A, That wasn't a great game. <laughs> no. But uh, I probably think it's fun. at least... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely fun. Yeah. There's a lot of games like that, actually. Hey, yeah. I mean, if it's if it's up to me, I like Gladiator, and that's a, that's a pile of poo. You know, you walk from yeah. one side of the screen to the other, and you get your armor knocked off with arrows. Yeah. But I still like it. Everybody's got some kind of crappy game they really like. They which, do! We should do that on the show sometime. Okay. <laughs> Open up a whole can of worms. And speaking of the bouncer, that reminds me of Bouncers, which was actually a very good game on the Sega CD in which you were a basketball. Really? Yes, you are a basketball, and some ba- sometimes your basketball has a top hat and other types of crazy gimmicks that you wear, and then you try to bounce yourself off of your opponent basketball uh into the nets and that's uh it was it was you are the basketball that's really out there you know how you get around having to draw big basketball teams however many people are on a basketball team i don't even know it's just just basketball on basketball action exactly that's how you do it (laughs) it's amazing but it was a good game so dungeons fighter online it's free there you go yeah, I mean, you can't get cheaper than free. It's worth a try if you're into that kind of game. Yeah. But you have to be willing to put up with the whole free MMO thing. Sure, sure. Anything else? Well, if we got time, I've uh, got to recommend this uh, indie game off of uh, Xbox Live Arcade. Hold on. Go ahead. So, an indie game, you say? We're we're not a big corporation, Microsoft. We're indie. We're independent. I got to agree with Kyle. I like to the community games line better. Who doesn't like to be in a community? I, yeah, you know. At least that was that, that's actually what it was. It was people with the Xbox Live thing making games. Yeah. Now they got to be indie. We're all we're we're punk rock. Look at us. We have anarchy T-shirts. <laughs> Yeah, this game's really not that punk rock. It's more Dig Dug with some weird item collection. Now, what's this called? A Miner Dig Deep. Oh, Miner Dig Deep. Okay, so what, what do we got going on here? You're a miner and you dig. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's it's kind of mindless, but it, it's, it works kind of like, you know, Dig Dug, except okay. for it's slower. Oh. You, uh, you've got like a, a pickaxe and you pick your way through... You build your own little mine. You can slap in elevators, and oh. you're looking for gemstones. Okay. Because uh, I don't know how many times I was playing Dig Dug, I'm saying, you know, I really like this, but, geez, I'm moving so fast here. Well, <laughs> yeah. Jeez. I mean, this is not a fast-paced game. So what uh, is it? More like, uh, so it has more building elements into it? Yeah, kind of. That's kind uh, of interesting. But it's more, it's more digging. You're digging tunnels. You're trying not to dig Collapse, a, I guess. 
Yeah, well, I mean, there's there's shafts, and uh, you can fall in them. Oh. So you have to be careful and try to dig your way carefully. Hmm. And you're looking for stuff. You have a light radius around you, so you can only see a little ways into okay. the walls to find the minerals. Right, right. And then you just go down, you collect a bunch of gems, you go back up, you sell them, and you buy better drills and pickaxes and bizarre crap like that. Hmm. And how and much does this rock you? It was something like two or four hundred Microsoft points. Okay, I don't know how much that is. I don't I'm know. It's, say an indie, it's an indie game. It shouldn't be any. <laughs> right, because we're independent of money. Exactly. <laughs> or points or whatever. Yes. But it was really fun, and I'm not really sure why. It was, you know, <laughs> it's really mindless. <laughs> Do you unlock any special items to wear? Because didn't, didn't Microsoft promise us now that we're going to have game-specific content where when you buy a certain game, then you can like get a mining light for your, for your hat or something like that? I don't think you get that off of the indie games. No, no. Because they're they're too indie. Have they implemented this at all? This promise of unlocking... You know, I've seen some of my friends and my uh, friends list rocking some Assassin's Creed gear, so I think uh, Hmm. they must come with some. Hmm. I don't know. They might have bought that. Yeah, see, I... That's something I don't get is paying for Avatar here, but <laughs> to each their own, to yeah. each their own. Well, I guess if you make people's only choices is to wear late 80s jeans, well, I guess I might even be coming back. Last yeah. year's jeans, oh, oh then uh, that's how you get some loot. Yeah. All right, so dig dig the game there. Yeah, Indig. minor dig deep. Minor it's dig deep. They're cheap, and it's pretty fun. <laughs> hey! Eric Alex, thanks for joining us when we talk games. It's always a delight to talk to you. Yeah, I hear it's stacked. I can't wait to listen. This is quadra stacked. I'm losing my mind. All right. I'll talk to you later. Yep. Thanks, bye. 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 the roll, call the roll, call the roll of the We Talk Games Council for Video Game Millionaires. Superman. Not here, I guess. Uh, Johnny Capcom. Uh, yes. Wonder Woman. Not here again. Metamorpho. That's me. Oh, shh. Uh, Kyle Von Kubik. Here. Okay, very good. And Wiggly. Here. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, here we are today for the We Talk Games Council of Video Game Millionaires. And uh, did you know the We Talk Games Committee for Podcast Conformity and Listener Integration has run a focus group, evidently, focusing on 18 to 24-year-old males, and they decided that the Council of Video Game Millionaires is no longer a good title. We, we will now be known as the Council of Video Game Quadzillionaires. Very good. Because uh, the millionaires just isn't over with the kids anymore. They need more. I don't know if I have a big enough wallet. For this, oh, I well, have to update my bank account. Hey, you know it's good to spread it around. Just cash in some of your bonds. How's your portfolio, guys? Fantastic. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> I got a trapper keeper. I don't have a portfolio. All right, let's uh, delve right into the uh, listener submitted questions. This one was submitted by Wiggly of oh, Trapdoor. Very good. Oh. I've heard <laughs> that little kid. Yeah. This month's council, we want to focus. On character development, games that are great because of the characters. No matter what this character is in, he's going to bring you the money. And we also want to talk about games where it really doesn't matter what character you are. You're just going around. You love the game. It's a strong game on its own. 
despite or in spite of the character. I, I actually have two uh, character, great character design games. One contains a single character. The other one is multiple characters. But I, I want to hear what you guys have to say about this. I'm very interested in, in finding out your answers and your solutions to this question posed to the We Talk Games Council of Video Game Quadzillionaires. John, why don't you be the trailblazer on this one? I'll be the anchor. Well, I guess I'll go for characters that I like and carry the game for me first. Do the places where you guys live have a big crime problem? Yes. Huge, huge crime areas. Now, how does your mayor tackle the crime in those areas? How does he tackle? I know how the mayor of Metro City attacks crime. Aha! (laughs) With wrestling moves. (laughs) Because that's my And my character is one of my favorite characters ever. Because he literally is the mayor of Metro City, pimps, gangs, and all the crazy crap that ruins society. He just goes out and gives them a backdrop. Yeah, a pile driver. He's awesome. I love that character. my vote. Hagar, right? Yep. And he wears the suspenders, which is... (laughs) Always the professional. Shirtless, suspenders, and pants. And I had quite a good run in the Saturday Night Slam Masters promotion back in the uh, early 1980s. Very true. He carried that. He carried that franchise. Yeah, he's the original Jesse Ventura, but would, you know, crime attack. And uh, I, I just, Hagar is my, probably not my favorite character in the Final Fight game to play with. Because you like Guy. I do indeed. But uh, he's my favorite, like, character from a strictly personality based sense, and if, I guess. And if you want to give someone a back suplex, uh, he's the guy to go with. Oh, definitely. And he, you know, I mean, he hates Zangief. So he I does. Guess don't like Zangief. There you and go. look at that bridge. He's got that. He's got a hell of a bridge. Yeah, for a big guy as well. You know. Yeah, he can move. And that mustache, brawny paper oh. towels, eat your heart out. <laughs> See, I mean, what's not to love? He's a strapping gent. When I thought of some of my favorite characters, I thought back to the eight bit era, and then uh, the difference between which characters actually came out of there with character and which ones didn't really translate over to the next generation so well. So I was thinking about characters like, you know, of course, Mario and Sonic. Sure. Hey, you know, before we get too far on Mario, I mean, yeah. now, of course, yeah, those are those are the big monies. Of course, anyone that was a mascot and featured in bazillion games. But one, mm-hmm. and now Mario is a perfect example. I mean, he, he's a pinball, for cripe's sake. Right. <laughs> he's, well, his, hey, and he's this a is the thing. We had uh, John Gibson talk about this, and I think he put it wonderfully. Mario and Luigi are kind of like the Abbott and Costello of video games where they can be put in so many different types of games and it doesn't feel awkward. Contrast to that, Sonic uh, hasn't done so well (laughs) doing that. He didn't do so good as a spinball, did he? But another game that we neglect to mention, I was just playing it the other day, Wrecking Crew, also a a Mario game. game. Also a great music in that game. A lot of fun. I like that song. But who would have thought... Mario and how about Mario Cement Factory? He's a plumber and now he owns a cement factory and he's a wrecking crew. He is a working and man. he's a pinball. And he's how about ball. Mario and Luigi behind the green door, the X-rated one? What? <laughs> Who could forget that classic? Yes. Uh, what I was thinking about was when you first played Mario way back in the eighties. It was more about the gameplay than it was about the character. The character was there, and it was nice, and you liked the art style, but you were really playing it for the game. However, mm-hmm. the character developed into something bigger. Sure. Whereas Pac-Man, do we really care about the mythos of Pac-Man? Hmm. Or do did we like the gameplay? Now, Pac-Man's an icon. Yeah. It's, you, know, you can't argue that. But 
I think more people play Pac-Man to play the game of Pac-Man than to be Pac-Man. And that's made evident by the fact that Miss Pac-Man was far more successful than Pac-Man was. Exactly. Because and, uh, it was a much better game. Dig Dug is another example. One of my favorite franchises of the old arcade. I don't care about the mythos of Dig Dug. Mm-hmm. And evidently, he's the father of Mr. Driller. Again, I don't care. I enjoy Mr. Driller, right. but I don't care about the mythos of those characters. It's more about Metro- their costumes, I think. Yeah, they're cool looking. And their equipment. Uh, <laughs> they're in spacesuits, but they're digging into Terra Firma. It's fantastic. Yes. Metroid is probably my favorite example of this because most people, when they first played Metroid, had no idea who Samus was mm-hmm. or or the fact that inside of that robotic suit there was a girl. Yeah. So that was a great example of a game that was solely on its gameplay and then later transformed into other things. Now it's you know you can argue one side whether you like that or didn't like that and that that character developed into whatever stories you know popular now. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of these 8-bit games could only go on their gameplay because not a lot of uh, cinematics or narrative could be translated in the 8-bit era. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side of that, I thought of Bonk. And the reason why I wanted to play Bonk had nothing to do with the gameplay. It had everything to do about the character. Mm-hmm. I just liked the way the character looked. I liked the way that the enemies looked. I liked the art style of that game. Going back to that game, I didn't think the gameplay was all that solid, but it wasn't bad either. It was just a standard platformer. Another mm. example of this would probably be Earthworm Jim. Love the characters in Earthworm Jim, but if you, you know, really scrutinize it, it's really just a uh, you know pretty standard platformer for the 16-bit era. Hmm. It had some innovations. The characters were probably my one of my favorite parts. It's just the names, like Evil, the cast. I mean, yes. You know, and what was it? A uh, evil queen pulsating, bloated, festering, sweaty, pus-filled, malformed slug for what? Yes, brilliant. Yeah, it absolutely was, and again, a great art style. But I think more people grabbed onto that game not because of its gameplay, but because of its characters, and maybe even because of its Saturday morning cartoon. I doubt that. Yes. Who uh, could another great example would be those Lucas Arts games that we touched on. The Sam and Max and the Day of the Tentacles and the Monkey Island, they really relied heavily on the characters and the narrative because there were so many other point-and-click adventure games or graphical adventure games out there that you really needed to stand out with a cool-looking character or a cool art style. Mm -hmm. What was Jetset Radio called in America? Jet Grind Radio. Yeah, Yeah, well, there is a game, though. I love that game. I love the mechanics of it. I love the idea of like skating around doing graffiti and battling against the police and all that. The kids who you play as, I cannot freaking stand though. Yeah. They just look like the most annoying kids in the world. <laughs> and if you actually met them and they were skating around with their cans, I'd probably sign up to join the police. You know, because <laughs> they're trying to lick you and everything because they're all on E. Yeah. And <laughs> what's wrong with them? does my head in whenever I see them. And it's a shame because that game is really good. You know, the original one on the Dreamcast, Mm -hmm. really tough kind of like sandboxy puzzle game, I guess you could say. Sure. But, um, and Professor K, that guy, I don't trust him. See, Special K. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. he's, he does play good music though, I will say that. Well, let me tell you about a character that I really love and I think really moves along all the games that have come out. And they all feature this character's name as well. And I think there's been... Maybe close to nine or ten games, I think, that have all featured this character. And that is the R9. Let's just call it the R9, because there's R9A, there's um, lots of different versions of the R9. But I'm going to call him the R9. 
And you might also know him as R9A, the Arrowhead. And this is, of course, talking about R-Type and all the R-Type series. Oh. Now, you might say, uh, you know, a spaceship. It could be any spaceship. But I think that the important part of R-Type and the whole R-Type series is the fact that you are this R-9 spaceship. And you are equipped with, of course, the Force. The Force. The same Bido technology that you are fighting against, the evil Bido Empire, forms that little orange ball that you stick on your butt or onto your front or shoot into the enemies. And by picking up different power-ups, you can shoot different weapons out of the front of your ship and then you also get those bits and those are your little options that go on the top and bottom of your ship to protect your ships and i'll never forget some of the character development in fact some of the names i would read in my instruction manuals because i would love to read about our type i don't know why but uh like the snake boss commander i think his name was and all the different bosses, I loved reading their names. And I loved jamming my force right into the bosses. And there's all different ways where you could really shove your force off and instead of using it as a shield to help eliminate the bosses in almost no time at all if you shot it off just the right way. But, you know, a lot of techniques and R-Type just wouldn't be R-Type if you didn't have that ball on your front or on your back or that the reason it was named R, I from what I'm to understand, is because of the rounded uh, canopy that's uh, your front windshield. So that's a little bit about R-Type, and that's a little bit about one of my favorite characters. It wasn't just another spaceship. Like most of the shooters I could think of, you know, I love their weapons. I love how they power up and stuff like that. But outside of really, outside of maybe... Um, well, Parodius that has the awesome little octopus. Well, Parodius, Parodius has a, a play on a lot of different things. So I was, I was even going to predate Parodius a little bit uh, by talking about the ones with the bells. Um, Pop and Twinbee. Pop and Twinbee, exactly. Mm. Pop and Twinbee had very cute ships with arms and legs and talking about anthropomorphizing things. Uh, there you go. But then, of course, when the star Parodius and Parodius and star Parodius and all the other Parodii eyes came out, of course, they really chibbied up your standard ships that you would use, like from Gradius or what have you. What I like about the Parodius is that all the other characters are the same size of the ship. Like a Vic Viper, he exists in that universe, mm-hmm. but he's a little guy in a plane standing <laughs> next to these animals that are the same size as him. Right. I right. just, I, I love that. I think Star Parodius is cool too, because you can actually be the little PC engine core system, a little turbo oh, core yeah. system. So that was kind of neat as well. Speaking of star things, I, I mean, a lot of the fighting games, they rely heavily on, of course, the characters, because why else would you want to play a, a fighting game except for the interesting characters? And we have a lot of interesting characters in tech Like and, Rise of the Robots and all that. Rise of the Robots, uh, that is a great fighting game. No, but I was thinking about Star Gladiator, because this doesn't get a lot of attention. You might have seen Star Gladiators, perhaps in your SNK versus Capcom card fighters for the Neo Geo Pocket. Was was that a cricket I heard? Okay, yeah. But uh, I, I think that this had some really, really unique character design to try to make it stand out from the rest of the games. And unfortunately, the Star Gladiator series, also you might have heard of this as Plasma Sword for the Dreamcast. There was Star Gladiator 2. One of my favorite characters is June, and she's Here's an otaku moment for me. Okay. Uh, because I really, you know, if there was one polygon character, I'd say yes to it would be June. 
she had like frisbees with holes in the middle of them and that's what her fighting weapon was these plasma weapons uh, and who can forget Gamoff, the wookie with an axe it was the first time you actually before star wars tekaneko niki nakanukus fighters yeah. you had you know this giant wookie Gamoff with his with his big axe going up in there and saturn was so bizarre this was before we got what's your favorite guy to be in well that, i was just gonna break in eventually the reason why i got into soul caliber was because yep. i i for whatever reason hooked into voldo uh-huh. and voldo alone and i don't know why i mean like that's my favorite character to play yeah. as in that series i don't really care about any other character and i think saturn was just as equally bizarre as when i first saw voldo so i, yeah. I think capcom I, I would really like to see these characters be used more and the, the main character was hayato i think and i mean he was just your standard scar-faced hero type character that you know could have been anybody but I think some of the other characters uh, were, were very interesting. I'd like, I'd like to see them used more in other games. Another game that I, I thought of uh, during all of this was the Batman Arkham Asylum game. Okay. Uh, because there's an iconic character, Batman. Mm-hmm. And here's a game, but I think the reason why this game is the best-selling superhero game of all time has little to do with Batman himself, but more about being Batman in the game, and therefore the gameplay kind of outshines the characters i think they did a great job doing fan service for everybody but i think the gameplay is what really sold it yeah because if you're batman for the famicon all you are is pac-man with a batarang yes correct so it really doesn't you know being that character isn't really moving you along in that maze that you're going through (laughs) who could forget the uh classic game boy game batman where you were about two pixels tall Uh, i think jason rower's passage actually had better resolution yeah and a lot more definition it, in definitely. fact i think it looked more like batman than batman did in that game boy game <laughs> most definitely but i mean i can anyone name any really good batman games that came out for any other system before this the adventures of batman and robin on the super nintendo yeah you That's know really looked like the cartoons but played like poop wasn't great yeah wasn't great but i like it it's tough like but i like it yeah I remember definitely not, not for the, the links. roller coasters. Oh, right, right. Definitely not for the links. You wouldn't want Batman for the links. And that was, once again, called Batman, I think, for the links. And uh, they were giving away for free for a while there with the links. You had to send away for it. And then when you got it, you were like, I waited six to eight weeks for this. Batman on the Amiga was really good. I don't know if we ever played that. Oh, I think you mentioned oh, yeah, that. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, yeah it was a launch title. You'd walk, and then it would a box would appear, and you'd walk, and then another box would appear, and you'd walk, right? It like did kind of like a comic book looking thing on the screen. No, no, that's the uh, Commodore sixty four. On the Amiga, you were it's basically a side scroll and action platformer. There's all these really awesome driving levels as well, where you could do like in the movie, you could hook on to a lamppost with a grappling hook and turn your car around street corners and stuff. Uh, hey, John, uh, you got your wish a couple months back. You were saying that you couldn't wait for the Arkham Asylum sequel. That yeah. just got announced. Oh, very The only thing I don't like about it, I don't see why Joker and Harley have to be the villains again. Yeah. No, I, I would agree with you on that. But other than that, I'm sure it'll be good. It looks mm-hmm. like Penguin is going to be in it. It looks like Two-Face is going to be in it. And Black Mask is going to be in it as well. Oh, well, nice. But that's just speculation, but... It, it appears that way right now. So I'd I'm love to have uh, what's his name. You know the guy Scarface, the guy, the yes. weedy little guy with the dummy. That's one of my favorite villains. Mm. I just hope it doesn't get redundant, where it's just more of the same. I hope they change it up enough to make it interesting. Don't change it up enough to be a bad game. Definitely Egghead and King Tut. 
need to be in a oh, sequel. Oh, absolutely. That would be excellent. It would be. And what would you do with King Tut? You have to hit him on the head with something, like a batarang, and then it's all over? <laughs> yeah. That would be the best boss. Every, you just throw one batarang, and he's like, oh, where am I? Every time you hit him, he reverts back and forth between King Tut <laughs> and just a regular uh, concierge for the museum or the library. Where is he, a librarian? He was, a, he was an Egyptologist, I think, right? Uh, I, yeah, I believe so. Something you have like to get that. back to me on that. Where's the Adam West voiceover DLC that I've been waiting for? Mm. I would pay easily $20 for that. Right. Speaking of characters, yeah. uh, recently announced Mega Man 10 staying with the 8-bit art style. What do you oh. think of that? Do you think they're scaling back with that character? You know, staying away from that Mega Man legend era and uh, returning to its roots? What Thoughts? Well, what do you guys think about that? But they're still continuing the Mega Man X series, I guess, to Yeah, but who plays continue. that? Yeah, That's the same people Die who play the card this. battle and the battle network and other things that are trash. Hey, speaking of R-Type, he, he was also in a R-Type command, which I forget about, which as far as hexagonal war strategy games, it's not my favorite. I, I really would rather see him as a side-scrolling shooter. So uh, I just thought I'd bring that up. But yes, back to Mega Man 10. Huh. Who's the little guy with the shield? Ah, Proto Man. Remember from Mega Man 3? He'd whistle, he'd go doo 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 doo, and then come down and fight you? I like Mega Man a lot, but I wouldn't know everything about it. Well, that was actually uh, my favorite Mega Man as a kid. That's why I'm so familiar with Proto Man. I see. But yeah, you can play as Proto Man, evidently, and one other unannounced character in Mega Man 10. My, really, the question is do you think Capcom has made a wise decision trying to get away from these? really lengthy narratives with the Mega Man series and just going back to its roots with these 8-bit style games. And furthermore, now it seems like we're getting a Mega Man within a year, right? Right, yeah. Close, when we used to wait a couple, at at least. Well, I think the public will speak on this. I I personally love it, because I, like I've... (laughs) You know, mention till I'm sick in the face on my sandals. I think that is a video game. When I look at Mega Man, I know I'm playing a video game. When I play it, I know I'm playing a video game. I don't care how hard you think it is. I think it's just as hard or not hard as other Mega Man games. Well, evidently, there's going to be an easy mode in this one, so okay. I'm on board for that because Mega Man Nine was brutally it, difficult. It was kind of brutal, yeah, but solid, you know. And, and I don't think out of place with the rest of the Mega Man series. And so. I'm very interested in, in knowing what the public is going to do with this. If if it continues to sell this way, I don't see anything wrong with continuing that series in this style. I think it's great. Yeah, no, yeah I think it's, it's the best way to go, really, because those characters are awesome the way they are, you know? You don't really need to know what Mega Man, what his favorite Led Zeppelin album is, or <laughs> go on about in the RPGs. Like, Mega Man is awesome when he's just jumping around, has a little blue helmet on, and shoots things out of his arm. I think a really good analogy here is, and and this isn't entirely the fault of the game developers, although I I do hold them uh, pretty responsible. Speaking of little boy robots, a fantastic game for the Game Boy Advance was Astro Boy. Oh, yes. And what a great shooter that was. And now it came out for other systems and, you know, Super Nintendo and stuff like that. It was okay. But the Game Boy Advance was really the best version of Astro Boy you could play. And Sega had a hold of this title back then. I'm almost positive. Yes. And now I know that there was this Astro Boy movie. So the first thing they do is they put clothes on this 
little robot boy because you can't have a nude robot boy because that's too titillating, I guess, uh, to have a nude robot. Okay, for all those robosexuals out there. <sighs> My goodness, it's just it's just insane. But I guess it would be robophiles because it's a little boy. You don't want him to be shirtless because he's wait, a, he's wait. made out of metal. Mecrophiliacs? Can we go with that? No, Mecro- that would be for dead robots, isn't? Wouldn't oh, it be? oh yeah, yeah. gross. <laughs> Yeah, who would want that? Um, so the game designers of this new version, first of all, you have to play with Astro Boy with clothes on, which I- I'm sure Osamu Tezuka is rolling over in his graves. Yeah, but this isn't the first time his creations have been... Kimba the White Lion, given like insane yeah. voices and horrible yeah, voiceovers and, and stuff like that. Then there was also the Metropolis movie where he didn't want that to turn into a movie because he wasn't finished with the series. Gotcha. It turned into a movie anyway. So it, it, this isn't the first time that his creations have been trampled on and right. for the sake of making money. And But if you look at that game, it's, it's perfect. It's really, really a great shooter, the original one for the Game Boy Advance. But if you look at the new one for the Nintendo DS and for whatever other systems it came out for, it's just it's horrible because they tried to put this polygon so it's not not only bad enough that you're going around with street clothes on but now one of the first things you can unlock is to make him nude again in just his his boy panties and metal belt and red shoes you can turn him back into the little roboy robot boy that you love but the game is totally gone you know as soon as you try to make this a polygon thing instead of looking animated instead of looking like a video game i think it loses something and that's just my tie-in i think the same thing can happen with mega man what are you gonna do make him look like a 50 year old guy holding a gun with that would be you know, rad with giant kiss shoulder pads you know yes. with spikes uh, you, you know you, boots <laughs> thankfully mega man does not look like the first cover of mega man or else we'd all be in trouble and we would never have heard of mega man again yes. well all you need to do is look at bomberman act zero that yeah piece of garbage oh jeez, yes perfect examples yeah. it just looks awful it's it, bomberman's all about charm and so is mega man you know yep I got two more questions. Okay. Link in the Zelda franchise, the series, uh, what are your thoughts on that character? Because there's been a lot of talk about Nintendo is going to go... Because like, let's be honest, Twilight Princess was a GameCube game mm-hmm. uh, that came over to the Wii. That there's been a lot of talk that there's going to be new innovations, and one of which is actual oh. voice acting in a Zelda game. Oh. Do you think that hurts the character, helps the character? Well, if the CDI taught us anything, you know, it's that it's nothing but an addition. How about the how about the animated series? Excuse me, princess. Yeah, classic. Link is a brilliant character because he usually has like a boring life at the beginning yeah. of the game, and then like he's just presented this massive problem and just seems to relish the adventure of it. You know, well, I love the original because the original was you're here and. Okay, here's a stick. <laughs> Go. <laughs> Go hit stuff. Yeah. And that was it. That was the only direction you got in that first game. Uh, did anybody know to blow the whistle without looking at a Nintendo Power in front of that water waterfall? No. Nobody knew that. That game was brutally difficult, but I love it in its simplicity. But now, over the years, Link has developed more and more and more narrative behind the franchise. And I was just wondering what you guys thought as far as does it help it, hinder it? How should they go with, uh, about it going forward? Well, I think the good thing about Link is that he seems to be not just more developed. I think that he is reinvented. 
for many of the games. So that's what I think is very unique about Link. I don't think that he has to maintain any role. So if they go down the wrong path, I think just, you know, the next iteration of the game series, they'll just recreate and reinvent a whole new Link. There's a movie now actually on Daily Motion. I think you can, it is. It's a, I haven't watched it, but it's a feature length, like fan made film called Hero of Time. I don't know if Link talks on it or not, but I know it's. It actually looks pretty good. It's obvi- I mean, it's a bunch of guys who saw Lord of the Rings and thought, "Hey, let's make a Link <laughs> movie." The thing about Link as well is he's one of those characters that you can just name yourself to make him you. In yes, a sense. he was one of the first to do that. So I don't know. As long as they get his personality right, I think it shouldn't be a major problem. In that respect, they could always go the Half Life route where. Everybody talks but the main character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As long as they don't get the people responsible for all the wowee robot voices, uh, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> because I don't know if you've heard the new wowee robots. They have some of the worst voices ever concocted for robot or human alike. Except gotcha. maybe they're frightening <laughs> wowee Elvis bust robot. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen this thing. It's not really a video game, but it's creepy enough to be talked about, especially on a show. Just Perfect Google a video. Stocking stuffer right there. Google a video for Wowie Elvis Robot. And then try to sleep at night. <laughs> My other question is what drives people to play the Final Fantasy games since there's always a rotating door of characters? Yeah, Final Fantasy was going to be a franchise I was going to bring up as well, and and that is you're more attached to how the game plays, and that's what makes you know it's a Final Fantasy game. Right. How things happen to you, and not even how things happen to you, because you could be all over the place. I mean, there's definitely ones that you like more than others, but I think it's more about the way the game plays out that really makes it a Final Fantasy game series. Speaking from just a personal note, I was big into Final Fantasy VII when it came out. I liked those characters. I liked the Midgar setting. I liked the whole Metropolis feel, the Fritz Lang Metropolis feel of that mm-hmm. game. And then I went on to you know eight, which only made sense. And I was so turned off by the the story and the characters that I didn't pick up another Final Fantasy game until Final Fantasy XII. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but I know people who uh, live and die by this game. You know, they've played every. 10x2 and the online one so my question is because the characters are so changing what is is it the gameplay is it the characters or is it the franchise is the franchise really the only reason people pick it up i think it's the chocobos yeah chocobos uh mechanics named sid yeah i think that's what it is and the music i mean let's face it yeah it has some of the greatest video game music of all time obviously how about from the suicide and the death and all that you know yeah I'm not a huge fan of the Final Fantasy series, but uh, the number two on the Super Nintendo, the one where you go to the moon. Yeah. Yes. Every second character was just jumping out of bullets or into yeah. the way of bullets or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It got to the point where like, I almost thought like, if it was a bit shorter game, you could definitely have a death, suicide, martyrdom, drinking game going on. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of suicide, how about suicide from TNA? Video I'm game. Excited. I'm hanging up. <laughs> hey, thanks everyone. I think that was a pretty fun council. Thanks for being a part of it. Thanks for being a part of We Talk Games. And we'll talk to you next Jan. Oh my gosh! 
And before I forget, which I never will forget for the rest of my life, uh, let's let's talk about next month's guest. We're going to let the cat out of the bag. January was supposed to be a sleeper show. We're just going to coast through. I want to work on music. I want to get things done. I, there was even talk about Stinky hosting it at one point, but oh, that's geez. all gone out. The, that's all gone to the wayside. When I think about all the great people I would love to have on a show, of course, some of the biggest names come to mind: Miyamoto-san, uh, Nintendo, because that would be amazing. That would be unbelievable. Yu Suzuki. Sega, all those amazing sure. Genesis games, Sega games, all that type of things. Uh, I think a Trip Hawkins, that would be amazing. Founder of EA, the most successful video game franchise in the United States ever created. Of course, he also did the 3DO, which I love, but of course it was a failure and things like this. And then I would go on, who would I, th- Trip Hawkins is going to be on next month! What? <laughs> I don't believe it! <clears throat> My breath was literally taken away. Trip Hawkins, creator of how I don't countless countless genres of games. You know, because we're 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 very hung up on EA, thinking, oh, you know, Madden. But yeah. think of it, Populous, the God style game, the and birth of the God style game. So many different game genres. He he set out to make different style games, games that you have not played before, games that you have not thought of before. I'm sure we'll talk about the 3DO because I love that thing. I don't know if he'll want to talk about it. And of course now he's on the digital chocolate. But Trip Hawkins, one of the most accredited people in the gaming industry, will be on January's We Talk Games. Stacked. We're going to have to put a yellow tag on next month's We Talk Games. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be sure to, to talk about the Genesis, the unique Genesis cartridges, both licensed and unlicensed uh, Genesis cartridges with Trip Hawkins as well. I mean, I, I seriously, I Founder mean... Founder of EA coming on We Talk Games. Un- the show is a juggernaut. It is, it is happening. Hey, thanks for being on the council, guys. Thank you. Talk to you next month. See ya. Did I mention Trip Hawkins was going to be on next month? What? I don't believe it! <laughs> See you later now. Bye. Bye. Up to now, We Talk Games only has two points on the King of Kong triangle. Let us complete the trinity. Open a line for Steve Wiebe, Keith. Redmond, Washington. Steve Wiebe. Welcome to We Talk Games. Go! Hey, thank you very much for having me on. It's great to have you. The most famous algebra teacher, I think, since Algebra himself. Algebra. That's what I have a character in my uh, class I use. His name's Algebar. Yeah, I have a buddy named Matthew Maddox. So I kind of play around with the names. Fantastic. I I hear that you're almost as popular as Pi in some circles. (laughs) Yeah, in some circles. Hey, that's pretty funny. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage because I didn't see the late show with Craig Ferguson, so I don't know what was already used up. But speaking no, of that, get that one. okay, very good. <laughs> speaking of that though, competitive gaming. Now you were the first to hit over a million in Donkey Kong, and your high scores really brought you to the dance. But wow, King of Kong, I think brought you and many other competitive gamers to the world. I mean, what an impact! What has come besides late show with Craig Ferguson? I'd love to hear about that. But what has come out of this whole King of Kong movie movement happening? A lot of things have blindsided me. I never thought something like all the things that happened would have happened. There was talk before the movie even got made, like, you know, what what's going to happen with this? I was asking the director. He was like, I don't know, you know, we're hoping we sell it. But, you know, the very least, we'd have some 
great home movie. You know, like when you look, kick back 10 years, you can look back on a little home video of our family during this era. Sure. Um, so we thought at least that would come out of it, but we never expected the things that did come out. The When the first was touring the uh, film festivals, a lot of people had copies, like kept burned copies of the CD was making the rounds, and Tony Hawk had had got a hold of the copy oh. and emailed me. Um, he was like one of the first celebrities that even touched base, and he emailed me on eBay through an eBay account, and I wasn't sure if this was a real or it was a fraud. Right. And I, I researched it and asked one of my friends, and he, they thought it was real, and so he sent me a skateboard signed by him and a couple of video games for my son. That was really, really cool that he reached out, and I met him at Spike TV uh, Awards and met him also at the premiere of King of Kong in L.A. a couple years ago. So he's a great guy. Um, and then from there, just kind of spiraled, just kept be sitting on the couch at 6 in, uh, in the evening on a Saturday, and I get a call from Matchbox 20, um, Rob Thomas's <laughs> manager, on the phone, and they're all in the, in the in backstage somewhere, you know. And they, he's saying, "Well, we want we'd like to, the band would like to have you come down, and we're in Seattle tonight." And so we just jumped in the car, me and my wife and my brother, and just went down there, saw the show, met met the band. Alanis Morissette was back there; she had opened for them. Met Alan White, yet the drummer, yes, wow, the same. He was back there with the band. Were you a big fan of Yes? Because I know that you're you're quite a uh, a good timekeeper on those drums there. That's for sure. Yeah, um, I like yes, I like Rush. Kind of yeah, those pro progressive rock bands were big when I was, you know, in the '80s. Sure, sure. But I love I love that genre. So um, that was cool meeting them. And then you know, Mike Chemical Romance, which is a little younger crowd. I, I didn't even heard of them uh -huh. when they emailed me. The bassist Mikey Way is his name, and emailed me and wanted me to come down and play on stage with the band. Actually, and I was can believe it and I you know I told my students and of course they knew who My Chemical Romance was they, sure they're hip on the new the new music so I drove down to Portland on a week weeknight with my friend Mike Thompson and met the band and they instead of playing a song they said well we actually not going to be able to play a song because we didn't rehearse with you but would you mind doing a drum solo so I kind of was a little in shock so wow. I go well, oh well okay cool and then there's like 2,000 it was kind of a small venue the ballroom it's called sure um, but two, anything over a thousand is yeah, still it was a great crowd. crowd and they were going crazy their, their crowd's totally nuts for them and they're jumping up and down on the floor when they're playing and I don't know if how many people actually knew who I was but the lead singer announced me and they still went crazy even if they didn't know who I was and I went there did a got on the stage and did about a five minute drum solo and they were still screaming and stuff wow I don't know how much of it was just because they were just psyched just to be at a, their favorite band's concert or if they actually enjoyed my drum solo but it was a great experience as most people I've ever played for back when I was trying to make it with a band in Seattle you know we play for maybe two people the bartender and the sound guy I've been there <laughs> I've been there so it was definitely a different taste and then from there just Vince Vaughn was a big fan of the King of Kong, and uh, Seth Gordon directed Four Christmases, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I had the opportunity to make an appearance on that in that movie. It was kind of a wild. I got a phone call from Seth, and my wife was at home actually. And Seth said, "Well, you won't believe this, but we're gonna 
they want Steve to come down and be in the movie Four Christmases I'm directing. There's a small part, non-speaking role. But I went down there for four weeks, had to get time off from work, from school. I had to make all these arrangements with the school district. Sure, sure. So it was just crazy trying to get that set up and totally wild experience just on a, a movie set, just a total different world. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I was on the set of Hairspray, so I know a little bit of what it was like, but I wasn't, you know, featured like yeah. you. I just, I got to run things a little bit behind the scene, do a little extra work and stuff like that. Cool. But yeah, uh, well, what a, what a compelling story, King of Kong. I mean, you can't write the characters that you really are. And what, what characters to play off each other, Billy Mitchell, yourself, those personalities, Walter Day's personality, and, and all the other very unique personalities that definitely are, are brought to light in that movie, um, as well as other video game movies as well. But I think, I think there's really no better movie that pulls on the heartstrings. I mean, it's good for the whole family. People that don't know anything about gaming get so involved it's, it's such a let's face it your scores would have been a very compelling plot device like if you were just writing a movie like you know here comes this guy um not involved with the competitive gaming movement uh, of of the earlier years and you know he's very humble from he's a teacher and here he comes out of nowhere unassuming and these, but these scores are real, and that's what's amazing about it. So these people are real. These stories are real. I mean, of course, there's some movie-making going in, and brilliantly done. But uh, it's. I've had Walter on a show. I've had Billy on a show. Now you are on a show. And I can have the guy that created video games, like the first video game. In fact, we have had him on the show. And yet, no matter what, it's the people involved with King of Kong, the biggest pop, the most reaction from our listeners, from my friends, when I tell them, you know, who's going to be on the show next, I could tell them, you know, this guy made billions and billions of dollars, the most successful video game company, most successful overseas, the biggest transaction, whatever. It doesn't matter. This guy brought us Tetris. It doesn't matter. It's this King of Kong crowd that is uh, more famous, more popular, and resonates more with the, with the people. It's amazing. So what are you doing now? Now I hear that you're you're actually doing something with your with your music. I I told Walter that he should get a hold of you and do some type of video game high score all stars or something and and do something live at the next convention. That'd be fun. Yeah, I'd like to jam with Walter. Um, yeah, I, I, Walter is kind of it's eerie that we had a similar passion for music and how we both have personalities are, are the same kind of mellow and don't want to create controversy and we, and we get <laughs> kind of pulled from each direction as in the movie you can tell that we're we're kind of battling different people are trying to pull us in different directions so it's kind of funny that we're kind of like a similar and uh, we definitely are friends and i see him here and there when i go around and i've had the opportunity to go for world records on donkey kong it was a, the latest one was last summer in june i was on mm -hmm. e at E3 going for it on live television and it was on G4 network and there was people that were watching it and my well I had to take a couple days vacation to go to LA and my class was watching it and other teachers classrooms were watching me on TV going for Donkey Kong so it's kind of funny but going back to Walter I, I think yeah he has to definitely get his music in gear he's had hundreds of songs in his head like I had sure and I just finally was able to get my CD done. It's been 10 years in the making. It's kind of paralleled the King of Kong in many ways, trying to get my music done. 
running into different walls and trying to go this way and get cut off. And eventually, I've, I got it done, and it's, the CDs will arrive Thursday, I believe. I was trying to get them before Christmas. Okay. But, um, and they'll be available on iTunes and other stores after the new year. So um, I have a website out that you can go order the CD from. And on AOL Radio, I was um, had a blog of my top ten favorite songs. They wanted me to... And I had Rush was... The Camera Eye was my number one song on there. Fantastic. So yeah. If you go to, yeah, if you go to AOLradio.com, you can see the blog that I put up. And then there's a link to go and order my CD. So it's 11 songs. I think that's a great job. I hired a couple of sax player, guitarists, and a singer. Everything else I do, I do the drums, piano, and I composed all the lyrics and the music. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Well, we sing King of Kong, you uh, rocking your uh, kid's uh, set there. Now, yeah. was that Derek's set, or was that... Yeah, that was Derek's. It was a little mini kit that uh, my parents had bought him. Sure, sure. One of our most popular songs that I did with my group, Trapdoor, we had our drummer come in, and for whatever reason, he brought his son's mini drum set and laid down the live drums over top of something that was a, a pre-existing song for quite a number of years and it sounded fine when we you know mixed it in the studio but i'm sure in the studio you got out your full set of zildjans and pearls what's your what's your drums of choice i play gretch and oh, zildjans, gretch. zildjans symbols yeah. fantastic well i got it half right yeah, that's pretty hideous. I prefer Zildjans. How about the hi-hats? Are they Zildjans as well? or Hi-hat, Zildjans, yeah. What I did, when I, I've always played Zildjans, and then I looked online when I went and, you know, some of them were cracking, and I looked and looked, uh, saw what Neil Peart kind of rides and hi-hat he, mm. had, he had. So I pretty much bought the size that he had, like a 22-inch ping ride. I can't remember exactly, but the same new beat hi-hats that he was using but he, he changes he used to play Tama drums and then he mm -hmm. went into Ludwig and now he's playing DW I believe now okay okay very good any other big drummer influences Stuart Copeland John sure. Bonham those are yeah some of the main ones and what um, do you think your genre of music what style of music is is, is the album all over the place or is it you stick yeah, you have... it's got a lot of influences pretty eclectic it's got I like Steely Dan, and if you go to the AOLradio.com, you'll see a lot of the influences okay. on that page. So I, I know I got some, um, the saxophone, you know, kind of influence from the Billy Joel genre, you know, like, and then the, the piano bass, you know, the Elton John, and those types of influences are on there. But it has definitely, well, you'll hear a Rush influence with some of the drumming and the rhythms that I have. So it's just got a little bit of everything, and that's kind of keeps it kind of unique and from track to track it, it'll, it keeps it more interesting rather than this one sound throughout the whole album so i think it's it'll be good for, it has a little bit of something for everybody there's even a violin kind of a country backwoods song it's not your modern country song but it's a kind of a backwoods where you have the snare beat going sure sure yeah the railroad beat yeah something the railroad beat going with the backwoods kind of fiddle uh, so it's <laughs> it's kind of funny how it's got a little bit of everything. What's yeah. the name of this album? It's called The King of Song. What? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to name it that, actually. As, um, but when I finished recording it, the singer I hired signed it to The King of Song um, you know, with a Sharpie when he gave me the the CD to review of the mixing. I looked at it, and I, I didn't say I was kind of was kind of clever, and then I showed it to a friend of mine and actually he i didn't show it to my friend he's he mentioned you should name it the king of song and i go that's funny 
my singer just signed it, the CD, saying the King of Song, and he goes, you should definitely do that. And then my another friend of mine had the idea of me at the piano with my fist raised in the air, much like the cover of the, the DVD for the King of Kong, where I'm at the Donkey Kong. Mm-hmm. And if you remember the, the cover for that, so this one, I'm at the piano in my living room. Fantastic. I have, I have my hand up in there. So <laughs> in the living the room, the, the photo. That's that's amazing. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> that's really great. <laughs> uh, boy, what accessibility. This this age, it's, it's just amazing how these things can happen. Now, our producer, Kyle, he doesn't sweat competitive gamers. He, he knows that he can beat pretty much any competitive gamer because he uses Game Genie. takes him about 13 minutes to plug in his 52-digit code, and he's off. He's good. What do you think about that? Oh, in 13 minutes, beat what his Donkey Kong score is? He could beat any score with his Game Genie. I must be out the launch on what's I haven't heard of the Game Genie. What's that? Oh, thing? Game Genie was very popular back on like the Genesis and the Super Nintendo and the 8-bit Nintendo. Galoob brought it out, and you plug in a code, and you can cheat on any game. Oh, I, I think I remember Derek actually ordered one. I don't think it's called the, the Game Genie. It was something, the Game Shark. There was one other. Yeah, Game Shark is new. Yeah, yeah. Game Shark. Yeah. Those, are, okay. those are the newer ones, but back yeah. in the day. Now, what got you into competitive gaming? Well, I actually didn't even know there was a, this culture existed. Like like you said, you mentioned in the movie, I, I kind of got thrown into this community of gamers that I really don't fit into. Mm-hmm. So I was just didn't really know there was much competitive gaming at all and i was just going for my own high scores trying just to just playing donkey kong for the fun of it actually i bought my own machine in college had my fraternity was getting in the five hundred thousand, kind of got up to seven hundred thousand. and then that summer i took the game home and hit this screen that i that killed me off i didn't know what happened i was at the screen and mario just tumbled and died and I thought there was an invisible barrel or some kind of higher level of difficulty that prevented you from really getting much further in the game. And then I went I played again. I was curious to get to that same screen because I was trying to break a million. This was back in 1990. Wow. So I was at 967,000 on that game. And then I got, I got there again and I had two lives left. So I died and I went again and the next Mario died and then the game was over so I realized I was the same level but I thought there was some bug in my own game so I pretty much didn't play kind of put the game away left it in my parents upstairs and, and then ended up selling it because <laughs> I wanted to buy an electronic drum set when I was um, in a band and it was like 1993 and we were trying to make it big so I sold it but eight or nine years later I was just browsing through the internet because back in 93 there really wasn't any online data for video game scores and then I just saw that there was a high score on Donkey Kong and it was like in the 800,000s and I knew I had beaten that so I figured I'm going to go ahead and buy my another machine and Nicole was cool with that she didn't know exactly this was gonna, how far it was going <laughs> sure. how the mess it was going to create but um so I went and was able to get right back on it was like riding a bicycle it took me maybe a week or so to get get back in the in the groove so I and I found out the Twin Galaxies on the, on the internet had the scores you know kept the, the record so I submitted a videotape and broke the record um, so that was really not really an interest in trying to compete with anybody I was always just curious of what the high score was because I knew mm-hmm. that I'd gotten to this screen that killed me off and I was like I wondered how many people have actually gotten that high of a score and it turned out there weren't that many people so I was kind of surprised I, I figured there'd have been more people so that's how it kind of happened. And I, once I submitted the videotape, if you've seen The King of Kong, I know you have. Mm-hmm. 
but the listeners, you'll see what kind of controversy that <laughs> that led into. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact, we, we even uh, joked a little bit about glitches and tapes and things like this. So not from your not from your tape, but from um, other tapes that were shown on that movie. And I gotta just ask: I mean, is Derek now of the age where, if he sees that "wipe my butt" segment, does that upset him at all? Or yeah, I haven't watched that part with him in a while. But I know when we were first going to all the film festival that came to Seattle, the Seattle Film Festival, and, and we were sitting in the theater, and that part came up. He was getting anxious and started getting embarrassed and what and he was crying so we sure. had to take him out of the theater he, so he that kind of upset him but i think you know now yeah i don't know if what, how he'd react if he saw the scene but you know when he's in high school and he's got his <laughs> <laughs> he's coming back from a tolo or a date and they sit down and watch i don't know how it's going to go over with his girlfriend yeah. well hopefully it'll make him <laughs> much stronger person but i gotta tell yeah. you i mean you can't help but laugh at it i it's it's just it's yeah. one of the most just hilarious no matter how many times you see it it's just so innocent and and yeah. and adorable and everyone has been there i think everyone has been not i mean not to the extremes of going for the highest score ever but everyone has been in in the moment of something and then something completely unrelated and totally unexpected and, and important comes into their lives. So yeah. it, it just resonates, I think, on so many levels with so many people. And that's probably why you've uh, attained the, the fame. Uh, too bad I know how fortune does not always go along with fame. I mean, it's just hilarious how you <laughs> keep saying about how you have to schedule off from work. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I can have people all over the world come up to me and say congratulations on this that, and the other and you know i still do the jobs and the uh, little things and work for nothing basically so yeah, yeah it's fun it's just a it's just a great experience i'm not really a materialistic person i'm very happy with the lifestyle i've have so Fantastic. it's just great to meet new people and have experiences that you wouldn't have normally so definitely that's worth a lot of money in my in my book very good very good excellent and uh, and great morals for you kids out there listening <laughs> Why did you get into arcades? Just because it was in your dorm, or did you used to frequent arcades back in the 80s? Or Yeah, I grew up with you know the Atari 2600, I believe it was, the home console, and you'd go to the arcades on the evenings or the weekends and drive down to 7-Eleven, or back when they'd have them in 7-Eleven. Sure, yeah. Arcades in the neighborhood used to... You know, hop on my bike and ride a couple miles, ditch out on my chores I was supposed to do, <laughs> and drive and play play video games. And so that was just what we grew up doing. And then I, when we got older and in the mid-'80s when the arcades started phasing out, you know, and started playing sports in high school, kind of went away from playing video games. And when I went to college, there was one of my fraternity, uh, actually a friend that was in a different fraternity, had a fraternity brother that had a Donkey Kong in, the, in their fraternity and went over there and I looked at it I was like, I remember, you know, I love Donkey Kong and I still did, but I hadn't seen a machine in a, probably five years and there was a guy playing and I thought to myself, well, I, I got to buy myself one of these now. This is too cool. I, I can't believe that someone actually has their own Donkey Kong. So I went and bought one in downtown Seattle and put it in my fraternity room and there was about six or seven of us that played religiously in there and a couple guys could get in the 200,000 range and so that's where it all stems right on man hey well uh what's in the future back to school success with the king of song yeah those things i still love teaching so I plan on doing that for the rest of my life and yeah hopefully hopefully i can get my music out there and 
I don't know what to expect, how, what will happen with that. I just hoping people can hear it and enjoy the music, whether I get anything out of it monetarily or not. It's not a big concern. If, if I can get some money to back so I can re- record another CD, that, mm-hmm. that'd be that'd be awesome. So, I'm sure um, you'll do that. iTunes is, is pretty good. It's, it's pretty yeah. steady. For some reason, yeah. you can still get uh, get checks every month, and it's very nice. It's very unexpected, and with uh, with the success that you've had from this movie and that propelling you, and that's already advertising right there. So, I mean, that's that's a big part of it that I, I surely never had enough left over to t- to uh, take care of. So, I wish you all the best success. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see what happens. Nowadays, the internet has just opened up all the avenues that mm. you didn't have back in. 20, 30 years ago, and if people can hear it and enjoy it, that's what I'm hoping for. So, thank right you. on. Well, thank you very much for being part of We Talk Games. We hope to talk to you in the future. You bet. Thank you for having me on. Bye now. All right, bye. Find out everything about Steve Weeby at steveweeby.com. That's W-I-E-B-E, or you could just click on the show notes of this episode. Hey, I'm excited to have 2PyR on. Let's open the line, Keith. Let's start wrapping this up. Sherman Helmsley Oaks, Los Angeles, California, 2PyR. 2PyR, welcome to We Talk Games for the first time. 2PyR is joining us. Thank you, Wiggly, and hello from the wild and woolly West Coast. Right on, man. Now, 2PyR, you have surprised me because you were involved with one of my favorite underground Mac exclusive game clubs that I feverishly resubscribe to each year just to receive my shiny CDR and a white cardboard envelope inside Mac games. You've been involved with that. You've been involved with GamePro and a lot of other uh, things. Why don't you tell the listeners exactly all the different video game related projects you've been involved with on a professional level? Well, I use the term professional loosely because it implies that I you know, went to school for any of this stuff. Pretty much, I was a 17-year-old kid that made one good connection to get one review into the pages of GamePro. The mm-hmm. editors decided they liked what they saw, and uh, the rest, as they say, is proverbial history. Well, that, that I, sounds a little bit like what happened with John Gibson from our last episode from I Am 8-Bit. He, he started in journalism as well, sort of faked his way through different things. His mom acted as his agent and stuff like that there. And that sort of sounds like what happened to you as well. Fake it till you make it. That's what they say. <laughs> uh, I started out with a couple of reviews in uh, GamePro magazine. And uh, the larger publishing company that was running that one, at the time they were called Imagine Media, they had a number of different publications. I wound up submitting an article to CD-ROM Today, which later became Maximum PC, under the auspice of being a teenager looking at SAT test prep software. And from there, they let me review games like The Bizarre Adventures of Woodruff and the Schnibble. <laughs> One of my favorites. And uh, Mech Warrior was my great golden debut. And from there, it just sort of went on. Inside Mac Games happened because I identified a weakness uh, when they first launched their online component. Their news was just sort of gathered from whatever available free sources there were, which, you know, that's the same way everybody did it in 1998. Sure. You know, but I said to them, you know, bring in a news editor, bring in somebody that can uh, do some original reporting, that can harness an army of interns, that can get some original content out there that'll keep the readership interested. And so I uh, did that for about half a year, and ultimately that was part of what led me to getting the crowning achievement of my online journalism the year that I spent as the editor for MacAddict.com. Wow, MacAddict. Now, was that fun? 
Oh, that was a blast. That was back in the loving arms of Imagine Media one more time. And Imagine Media at that time was basically a group of 20-somethings blitzed out of their mind on 25-cent Cokes <laughs> who would run around this giant college campus-style office yeah. shooting nerf guns at each other, finding cool things to do on computers, and then finally at around 10.30 sobering up just enough to write 100 words. Oh, that that really came across, in especially in the later years with the movies and stuff like that, that you would get the quick-time movies of different experiments that they did around the office. That that type of, of atmosphere definitely came through. Well, let's talk about games. Now, you contacted me because you want to do a rebuttal sort of an addendum, if you will, of the positive points of SmackDown vs. Raw 2010. Absolutely, and I, uh, my system of choice is the PS3, so that's the perspective that I'm going to be looking at it from. Hold on. PS3. Go ahead. I want to begin by emphasizing that I'm not necessarily disputing any of the negatives that Ouch so eloquently put across. The game does have some problems. It's not an instant classic by any means. What I felt, though, was that Ouch was overlooking, to the point of exclusion, a lot of the positives about the game. A lot uh, of people shared that sentiment. I saw it on the boards a little bit here and there, so you are not alone in that, that feeling. But i got to tell you as well, You know, I played this on my Wii, I played it on the PSP, and I wasn't thrilled with it either. But Go ahead, let's hear what's good about this title. Well, I cannot say enough good things about the storyline creator. Okay. And the reason that I really want to hearken back to that is, well, there's two reasons. The first is that it really takes me back personally when I'm playing to the best feature of way back on the PlayStation 1, the last really universally agreed upon good WWE game was Shut Your Mouth. Sure. And... The thing about that game that really drew me in and kept me playing for nearly a decade worth of game time was that the storyline options that it had were minimal, but it allowed to mix and match the characters that you were actually playing, the characters that you were actually interacting with in the course of the matches. It would build the story around what you were actually doing. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, the graphics have come a long way. The ability to tell a story has improved. With the storyline creator, you can really harken back to that and you can build very directed, very specific storylines that get exactly the kind of gameplay, first of all, that you're looking for. And second of all, with the online capabilities, the ability to download additional storylines really makes the replay value on this game incredibly, incredibly high. Very similar to, to Little Big Planet in that mm. there are people out there that are producing levels that are every bit as good as, and in some cases better than, the 10 levels that shipped on the disc. Wow. Now let me ask and, you this, uh, 2 R. You say storyline creator. Now, so what do you do here? Type? Typing is a part of it, certainly, but it goes a lot deeper than that. The game has put together something like 350 stock animations that you can set in any of the game's backgrounds that you can use to drive the story forward. You can swap any playable character into any of the cast roles in these animations. You can adjust the camera angle to exactly what you're looking for. You can add special effects. You can add sound effects. You can make somebody's entrance music play when they come in. You can immediately have the crowd gasp in amazement when they betray the person they've been working with for the last three months. Okay. You can trigger uh, flashbulb animations. Uh, you can even have the camera spin around the entire arena so that you can take in all those you know pixelated 
people in the crowd. <laughs> uh, you know, it is very much a 1.0 endeavor, but yeah. precisely because it gives you control over literally every aspect of the audio and visual presentation of the storyline. So you can build the cutscenes up so that when you have a match, it's not just a case of the computer says, this person fights against this person, this person must win. You're actually able to build the same sort of way the show does. You can build a storyline, you can build a reason for the conflict to happen, you can put stakes on the line, you can make a reason for the audience to be invested in one particular outcome. You can also have you know people run in doing interference. The level of creativity that they allow for you is truly staggering, uh, especially in a game of this kind. Anybody that doesn't understand wrestling would go into something like this thinking that there's only so much you can do. And truthfully... As much as there is some 1.0 edges around it that could stand to be sanded off and polished, I would go so far as to say that this is the deepest level of involvement in the creation of a game that somebody who is not a developer is probably going to get their hands on. Hmm. Very good. Um, There are some limitations. One of the big ones is that if you uh, have a created wrestler that you want to put into the story, they can only have 10 appearances. Hmm. And by appearance, that doesn't mean 10 matches. That means if you use them in three cutscenes and one match, there's four of your 10 appearances right there. Uh. So if you're going to use that level of customization, you know, I, I read an interesting column online somewhere where somebody likened it to slash fiction because you're making stories about characters that other people have created but you're building it entirely in your own image they're doing what you want them to do they're saying what you want them to say and they're doing it all with the rhythm and for the reasons that have come out of your creativity hmm. Hmm. and you know, then with the online more has uh you know the, your ability to go out there and search for new content download it play it at your own pace if you want to go through 20 of them in a weekend you can if you want to download one long one and play it a little bit at night before you go to bed you can do that as well the level of control that this game gives to the player is certainly for a wrestling game completely unprecedented in the history of games i will go on the record and say that (laughs) and even in terms of just what's available right now i think little big planet is really the only game that's on the same par in terms of what the user can do and then share with other users of the game Right on. Now, did you get your secret code for that new uh, racing game that's going to be coming out next year? Um, I have the code. I haven't had a chance to download it yet because, unfortunately, my PlayStation only has a 40-gigabyte hard drive. Oh, okay. And after I downloaded the truly jaw-droppingly beautiful God of War 3 demo, I'm down to something like 600 megabytes left. So Those 2.5-inch serial ATA drives are really dropping in price, and, it, and it's, it's a pretty painless process as long as you have an external drive that you could dump everything that you now have downloaded on your current system to another drive until you get the new drive shoved in there and then right. transfer it all back. It only takes about a day to do all that, and it was quite simple. And that is actually one thing that I will give the PlayStation Network. Worst case scenario, if you're trying to do this and you lose everything you've downloaded, you can just go back into your account history and download it all again. Yeah, you can go right into your download section, exactly. and I think it's all it's all right in there. Right on, man. Well, I think my main objection to this was because I did not get into the story mode very deeply. And to me, this SmackDown vs. Raw 2010, I've already played exciting pro wrestling since 2000. And that was on the that was on the original PlayStation. Now, to be fair, I don't think 
I really played this game until at least 2003. Now, you mentioned Shut Your Mouth or Know Your Role or which one was it? It was Shut Your Mouth. It was the second SmackDown game on the PlayStation 1. Shut Your Mouth, right, which was, a, which was pretty good as well. But I think SmackDown, Here Comes the Pain, I think that's where this franchise really started to pick up exciting pro wrestling 5 which is again you know 2003 and i just haven't really seen that many changes come about since then i think i'm just getting burned out on the series especially when i thought that there were a lot of good elements of last year's of 2009 that seemed to be totally devoid in the action part of this game. And I also heard people say, well, now you can create your own tattoos and customize different things will show up when you go to put them up online for your your friends to pull down the cause and things like that. Now, to me, that's a patch. It's not a $60 new game. That should have came out as a patch where you could have done that to begin with. Oh, it's absolutely an incremental improvement. There's no question of that. But the other half of that is, for whatever reason, THQ has chosen to put a new edition of this game out every year. Right. And when you're doing that, there's no way that as a user you can expect for it to be anything more than an incremental improvement because there's only so much you can do in a year. Sure. And that's why I would love to see this adopt the Sega 2K Sports business model in charging less for these yearly patch updates. I guess if Madden gets away with it, I guess they figure the wrestling crowd will definitely plunk down their 60 bucks. But now that you've brought up this create-your-own-story mode, although it is a beta, I think I'm still going to skip this year probably and, and shoot for 2011, I think. I think that that's actually wise. I invested in this precisely because, as a game player, user-created content is something that is very interesting to me. Frankly, it's almost more interesting than a really beautifully polished professional release from a major studio. Mm -hmm. Uh, Precisely because no matter how good the programmers are, no matter how good the artists are, the people at the major studio are always going to be beholden to corporate interests. Sure. And obviously, because of the fact that we're playing with licensed characters, there are certain limitations to what you can create. There are certain, you know, you can't upload anything to the servers that have cursing. It'll, it'll, it'll mm-hmm. you know, put little stars across the entire line of dialogue that contains one curse word. It's, you know, fairly draconian as far as the censorship is concerned. But at the end of the day, players can be and will be infinitely more inventive than any company ever will be. The first caw that I downloaded was Hogan because I needed Hogan for the storyline that I was creating. Okay. The second call that I downloaded was actually an extraordinarily faithful recreation of generic man in blue stripy suit from the movie Tron. Oh. And I promise you there's no company in this planet that would ever have come up with that. But this came out not even within a month of the game's release. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. You're you're starting to put me on the fence now i i definitely will have to wait for a price drop but as you know that usually doesn't happen until the next release is imminent so i don't know well, we'll, we'll have to same see pattern that if it follows the same pattern that last year's pricing model followed the price should come down around april which coincidentally should be about when uh, one of the major dlc packs is available so it might be worth looking into then if you're going to pay $60 for this game, you definitely need to be a hardcore wrestling fan, a hardcore user-created content fan, or ideally both. Okay. You know, I'm, I, and as I said at the outset, I'm not saying that this game is an instant classic. But as somebody who is very interested in user-created content, I think this game absolutely is one of the bar setters that other games that include user-created content are going to have to look to. 
Yeah, because I got to tell you, you know, I spent four bucks for my TNA Impact, the game, and now I go to download Jay Lethal and it says server not available. I can't even wrestle online anymore. Evidently, Midway forgot to pay their electric bill, I guess, because they don't exist anymore. I hate it when that happens. Yeah. Hey, now, as you know, we're doing a lot of budget titles this month. I'm asking each correspondent to lay some $15 and under games on us. Now, I hear that you want to talk about a lot of budget games for your PS3. Now, PS3, I'm sure, is going to be under a lot of Hanukkah menorahs and uh, Yule logs in the Kwanzaa bushes and, and in the stoves. I don't know why it would be in a stove, but that's a new thing I'm making up where you put things under the stove. Don't turn on the stove, though. And under the trees and stuff like this there. So there's going to, I think the PS3 is going to have some record sales in December. But as you and I both know, sometimes the PS3 version of the games, five, ten dollars more than games for the other systems. Same games. And also much less rapid to drop in price. True as well. True as well. So how about some budget titles for the PS3 gamer? Well, I'm going to break your rule a little bit and start off with two titles that are actually $20 right now. Okay. Um, but I'll, I'll go ahead and get under 15 for the next ones. Very good. Uh, the first one that I'm going to recommend is Saints Row 2. Okay. Uh, this is a game that you can pick up at any Target or Walmart for $20 or less. This is absolutely the game for somebody that likes the idea of Grand Theft Auto, but thinks it is too gritty and not over-the-top enough. Okay. The same basic model of gameplay is there. You play a criminal. You're set in an open-world city. There are storyline-driven missions. There are side quests that will give you more prestige and more money. You can open whatever you want at your own pace, yada, yada, yada. That's where the similarity ends. Where Grand Theft Auto is very dark and gritty and urban and realistic, the town of Stillwater, which is where Saints Row 2 takes place, is there that you will go literally within 30 seconds of driving from futuristic skyscrapers of tomorrow where the Jetsons would feel right at home to a little backyard trailer park where the residents are bored and so they've welded together parts of old cars to make sculptures of giant spiders and dragons. Uh, The game's color scheme is bright and primary where GTA's is sort of uh, muddy and Mm earth-toned. And the side quests are really where the two games diverge. The side quests in... Grand Theft Auto are things like find 10 of this person and kill them or hijack a taxi and take this person from point A to point B. Right. The side quests in Saints Row are things like don a fireproof suit that a stuntman would use, set yourself on fire and run around the town and see how many other things you can set on fire too. <laughs> All right. Or hijack a septic truck and spray the contents of said septic truck all around the building so that the property values will go down so that the crooked land owner can sell them at half the price. I did not Uh, know this. It is just every possible extreme you can imagine is taken further than you could possibly imagine it. And even the storyline missions have this to an extent. The one that leaps immediately to mind is there's one mission about a third of the way through the game where one of your lieutenants is run through with a katana because, of course, every street gang in the year 2009 is fighting with katanas. Uh, yeah. So what's the only logical thing to do when your lieutenant gets run through with a katana? Put him in the back seat of your car, have another one of your flunkies drive the car, and then lean out the window with a bazooka and shoot down with the bazooka any opposing gang vehicle that is following you. Fortunately, the cops, for whatever reason, seem to be completely oblivious to your presence. 
I like that. And everywhere the GTA is trying to be as realistic as possible, mm-hmm. the designers of Sansa are just saying, screw it, let's have fun with it. Right, right. Uh, top that off with the fact that it allows a level of character customization truly unrivaled in any open world game that I've ever played. So again, you have a little bit of that user-created content going on. For 20 bucks or less, this is an absolute can't-miss title. Very good. The next one I'm going to recommend is Dead Space. Dead Space is a little bit more straightforward of a shooter approach to its gameplay. The thing that really impressed me about this one is the way the game is incredibly atmospheric. Mm, definitely. Uh, if you're a fan of the survival horror genre, you're not going to find anything particularly new here. You know, creepily lit environments that are a little out of the ordinary. Monsters that pop out from around corners just so that you can have a little cheap fright a la Friday the 13th. But the level design first of all, actually feels like something, if you were on a colony ship, this actually feels like what a ship might feel like. Right. The placement of enemies is very in tune with what most players will go through. The game does require that you ramp up your skill as well as your weapons in order to succeed, but it does so on a gentle enough curve that if you have any interest in the genre at all, you should be able to rise just to meet the challenge. Now, there is DLC available for this game. Pretty much all it does is give you weapons that look a little different for between 2 to $5 per, and there's six of them. I don't strictly recommend that so much, but again, you should be able to pick this title up for 20 bucks or less at any major store. It's absolutely worth a look. Right on. And, hey, I have to bring this up as well. Now, it's, it's not quite as inexpensive as that, but you should be able to find it somewhere around $32. And it, of all things, it's for the Wii. But Dead Space Extraction, I never really talked about this game. Uh, this is, seems to be a direction that many of the newer Wii titles are going for when they want to bring out one of these graphic-heavy style games that come out for the PS3 or for the Xbox 360. And they know that they really can't do that on the horsepower of the Wii. They've reinvented these games so that they look almost like the game. They did this for um, Resident Evil Darkside Chronicles, which is the retelling of the Resident Evil 5 that we got on our more powerful systems. Except now you're just on rails. You're an on-rails shooter, much like the House of the Dead series and things like this. Except that the backgrounds, the graphics, the things going on are lifted right out of these other games, like Dead Space or like Resident Evil 5. So it's kind of a neat thing that they're doing with that, and especially if you're a fan of the House of the Dead series or those Zapper light gun games, then this is good for you. The problem is, I don't know if if there's really that big of a following for that genre of games anymore. I mean, back when we had the light gun, the Zapper, and Duck Hunt and stuff like that, I think those games were kind of over but now i don't know how they're making up their money but they are doing some pretty impressive things with the graphics that's just my little wee break for this uh, episode well i I think the the main market they're going for you know the the wii is primarily a casual slash family gaming platform Mm -hmm. even at that level most families or casual fans will have one person in the family or 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 one owner of the machine that is in into a more hardcore experience Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think the real strength of this genre, the, the shooter on rails or whatever, is for the fan of casual games who spends a marathon six-hour session playing Resident Evil 5, comes out of it a little sweaty, slightly accelerated heart rate, really likes the game but kind of wants to cool down uh, before calling it a night. And so you can just pop this into your Wii and still experience the environment that you're into but without having to work quite so hard to be successful. 
I was really surprised at how nice Dead Space, uh, they, they, they did a pretty good job on it. I was surprised I was looking at the Wii, but then again, you know, you are on rails. You, you can't just go wherever you would like. It's You're not plodding along like uh, like the, the regular Dead Space, so eh, that's my two cents. Good point. So into the realm of actual budget titles that are sub-$15, this one's going to be a little hard to find, but it's absolutely worth picking up. Blockbuster Video, as you know, is uh, scaling back their business. They're closing mm-hmm. stores left and right. And even those stores that are in no intention of closing uh, tends to sell their used games for pennies on the dollar. Right. If you go into one of these stores, you should be able to pick up for around $7 a copy of Guitar Hero Aerosmith. Okay. Now, I'm not recommending this one strictly on the fact of the brand. But what I am recommending it on is the fact that if you... Pretty much everyone at this point who was interested in Guitar Hero or Rock Band has some iteration of the game and has one of the guitar instruments. Mm-hmm. If you are so equipped, for $7, you can pick up an excellent selection of songs. Uh, and did I mention that it's $7? <laughs> That's a good price. I like games that are $7. And plus, it's because it is Aerosmith, it will work with the older guitars. You don't need the ones with the touchpads on the neck. Exactly. You know, the, the guitars, and that's one thing that I will give the Guitar Hero series, the newer guitars, uh, the features are not totally backward compatible, but they were added in such a way that they add a fluidity to the, the later iterations of the game without taking away from, you know, if you don't have the ability to run your finger up and down the little touchpad, mm-hmm. it doesn't make the game unplayable. It just is a nice little bonus for people that have the, you know, and if you're playing even Guitar Hero 4 or World Tour, on a lower level of difficulty, you're not required to use the touchpad anyway. It's just sure. there if you... So, you Does know, extra for, effects and stuff. Exactly. So, you know, if you're already going in that direction, you absolutely cannot go wrong for 7 bucks for Aerosmith because, you know, at the end of the day, Aerosmith made some great guitar songs. Yeah. And all of the, all of the critical ones are on that disc. Agreed. Now, turning to the, uh, the PlayStation Network, there are two particular gems that I would like to highlight uh, for downloadable games, both of which uh, are well under $15. One of them just came out. It's $4.99, and it is uh, Frogger Returns. Okay. Yeah, I, I poked a little fun at this last time, but I've had, a, had an opportunity to play it. Well, it's one of the few 3D translations of classic games that I think gets it right. They took the graphics into a more... They gave them a more modern look while mm-hmm. still remaining true to the original. They didn't try to make it ultra-modern. I mean, obviously, even by the standards of the 1980s, the artwork in Frogger had a very sort of fun, cartoonish element to it. Mm-hmm. It was all very bright primary colors. It was all simple sprites. I think that the graphics in this game have captured that correctly. They've remained true to the core gameplay while adding just enough tweaks to make it interesting by you know by making the play field larger mm-hmm. by adding little power ups that give you a nice bonus but aren't really strictly necessary to being successful at the game they've managed to strike a balance between what a game has to look like now to be worth playing in the eyes of somebody who you know was only born 10 years ago and didn't come up with Pac-Man while still remaining true to the source material so that people who were around for the late 70s, early 80s can get just as much fun out of this as they got pumping a quarter into Frogger back in the day. I don't think the strong part of this is the 3D graphics um, uh, or the graphics at all, but I think that the, the extended play fields and the little extra things that they added really make this game worthwhile. And $5, that's, that's a pretty reasonable price for the, what you get here. Yeah, I mean, even at 7 I would I would raise an eyebrow, but at 5 the price is right. It's a perfect little pick-up-and-go game. You can teach it, have anyone how to play it. You know, 
for the five people left on the planet that have never seen Frogger before. You can teach them how to play it in 30 seconds. Right, right. Uh, it's just a really great game to have around for your Christmas parties or what have you. Yep. The other game that I'm going to recommend is called The Last Guy. It is by no means a new game, and the advantage of it not being a new game is it means you can now pick it up. I think the last time I was on the PSN, it was, they were selling it for 7 as part of some kind of a sale, but it should be no more than 10 mm-hmm. This game has had something of an uneven reception. It is kind of seen more as an art game than as a game per se, partly because of the unusual graphic style of it. And the one thing that I will caution is if you're one of the 12 people out there who can afford a PlayStation 3 but can't afford a nice TV to play it on, mm. uh, this is a difficult game to play on a standard, de- a standard definition television just because the graphics are so high resolution and the sprites are so small yeah. that if you don't have a, a larger play area, there, there is going to be some frustration with this title. Yeah, you can uh, zoom in, but but even I have a hard time seeing because you know I have poor eyesight. So there are some times when I have a hard time seeing what I'm doing on on this one as well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this is definitely one I have to make sure I have my glasses on for. There's no question. Yeah. But the thing that I really like about it is it's a style of gameplay that we really haven't seen in about 20 years. I mean, essentially, it is, uh, it's, it's the original kicks from the very first wave of arcade games with an updated graphic, with an updated sensibility to it. But it's one of the really few non-violent games out there that is still very engaging to play. Yeah, the premise is that you're trying to help all these other really tiny people escape from giant monsters that are taking over the the city and, and other other smaller creatures and things like that as well. And it, the the graphic style of it, which I guess is why it gets lumped in with being a an art style game, because it looks like you're playing on top of Google Maps or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, it's really uh, interesting. A lot of people just you know the first time they play it, they just quickly go grab a few people, drop them in the safe zone. Go grab a few more people, drop them in the safe zone. Where the strategy strategy of the game really comes into play is when you have a big line of 800, 900, 1,000 people behind you, yeah. partly because of what that line allows you to do in terms of modifying the play field, in terms of quickly rescuing other people, and partly because of the fact that you now have to manage this incredible line of people so that it's no longer just a single blip running away from a few slightly larger blips. It creates a level of strategy that is really unlike anything I've seen in most other games today. They certainly couldn't sell it as a disc, Mm -hmm. uh, but as a download, for $10 or less, the price is right. It's not a game that you're going to see anything really similar to it, I think, in a lot, just about anywhere. And my girlfriend also wants me to add that it is a game that she can just sit and be captivated by watching me play for, well, maybe not hours on end, but at least a good number of minutes. Sure, sure. And you know what? Uh, the nice thing about this game, too, is that there is a demo for it, and Sony's been getting better and better with that, with having demos of their new releases and their DLC and stuff like that as well. So uh, that's that's one of the good things. You could see, if you're able to watch it, I'm, I still have a hard time being able to see this game, but I really love the premise of it. It's just a, a fun little unique title. You know, it's not one that you're going to lose weekends to by any stretch. But for $10, the price is right. What can I say? Right on, man. Hey, thank you very much, 2PyR, for being a part of the show. We hope to hear from you in the future. Thanks for giving me a platform. I'll be back as often as you have me. Right on, man. Bye. Bye-bye. And that's it. I want to thank everyone at the We Talk Games crew for helping to make the two days of December 22nd a holiday to remember. And a huge, gigantic thanks to Kyle Von Kubik, Johnny Capcom, Jaden, Jasonia, Eric Alex, 2PyR, and all of our correspondents throughout this last year. For this episode, a special thanks to Stuttering Craig, Steve Wiebe, and yesterday's episode, Jason Rohr, Kelly Santiago. You're really made for some interesting content. 
And a special thanks go out to all of our special guests that we've had on this past year. You've really helped make 2009 a transformative year for We Talk Games. And who can forget our two lovable in-house co-hosts, Stinky the Game Master and T.T. Schmookins. I guess they're really enjoying that sandwich. And thank you to Keith LaPosh for making the show sound great each and every month. And thank you, our listeners. You've made it a very special year. We look forward to bringing you more show in 2010. Let's really send this into the stratosphere in 2010. I'm Wiggly. I'll talk to you next year. Bye now. Oh, <laughs> oh,